welcome to episode four of the Retro Mega Podcast. I'm your host Ian, and as usual, I'm here with my co-host Craig. Say hello, Craig. Hi there. How are we doing? Yeah, pretty good. All the better for talking to you, bud. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> here we go. Back talking about mecha anime again. So uh, indeed, can't yeah, can't be a bad thing. Um, Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to start uh, talking about the five star stories, Mamoru Nagano's legendary long running manga. So how we're going to structure the review today, we're going to do something a little bit different to what we've done on previous mm-hmm. episodes. Um, we're going to review the first book of the manga, the Destiny Three Fates Lachis story arc, which is book one in Japanese. And it's the first three books that were released in the US. Then we're going to review the anime adaptation of that volume. And then we're going to look at how the anime translated and and adapted the manga. So we're going to look at the three things Mm -hmm. individually. So, you know, we're going to look at the manga as its own in its own right. Look at the anime as in its own right and then do the comparison. So the five star stories. This was a manga that debuted in the April 1986 edition of New Type magazine, uh, created by Mamoru Nagano. So this was coming off the back of his work on the Heavy Metal L Game uh, TV series that he did with Yoshiyuki Tamino. It ran for 10 volumes quite some time in in New Type magazine, um, and then in 1989 came an anime adaptation. It went on hiatus for a long time, um, and then in 2013, in the May edition of New Type, uh, Nagano uh, picked it up and restarted the manga. So we'll have a look at um, how you know we got into this. So Craig, how mm-hmm. you know what was your first exposure to the five star stories? Well, it's it's been um, quite recent that I actually checked out. I knew about it quite some time ago. I do recall reading something. I think it may have been in the US edition of New Type. Um, there was some mention of it uh, quite some time ago. Um, obviously, New Type USA is defunct now. Uh, but uh, at the time, I used to buy it every month, and I think I, I recall uh, hearing about it for the first time in there. Um, but it's taken us quite some time to get around to checking it out. I, kn- I knew of Nagano's designs in Zeta Gundam, and yeah. um, and I was really aware that he was like held in really high regard as a mega designer. Um, but I hadn't actually, you know, sort of sat down and read or watched anything until this review. And because I found out, you know, a little while ago that we we're going to do it, I kind of held back on it specifically for this review so i could have yeah. a bit of a fresh take on it you know but uh so it's really just kind of you know reading a few things online and also yeah. in that new yeah. type issue that was my sort of familiarity with it and also the fact it was just held in very high regard i guess yeah so for me i kind of discovered it back in the early ish to uh, sort of 2003 mark um so again with you know the sort of explosion of information on the internet certainly in that sort of post sort of 2000 boom of you know the u.s mm. market and there's been a similar time for me i think so i think that's around the time new type was was around the u.s one yeah yeah so that was yeah kind of mid yeah it was mid 2000s or something i think mm-hmm. wasn't it, it came yeah. um and i remember reading so i was looking up stuff about tamino was reading something about Elgheim on a forum and on that forum it mentioned the five star stories and then mm-hmm. from there um you know started to find little snippets about what the five star stories was eventually sort of dug a little bit more a little bit more and then in sort of 2003 four i just sort of discovered um i came across something else 
uh, another website which had a load of information about it. It actually might have been the official website for the um, the US release of the manga, um, mm-hmm. and that's when I realised it had sort of been released uh, in mm-hmm. English and had then yeah. uh, sort of gone straight out of print because I didn't do a very very big print <laughs> run of them. So yeah, you know, this if you was... ever see the volumes on eBay, they fetch a quite a lot of money, don't they? they I don't do, know if you've ever yeah. seen there. It's a I guess it's um, been a pretty rare book these days. Yeah, and I think like it's like all these things, like volumes 25 and 26 are like, you know, hen's teeth. Mm. You know, they are really, really rare. So a lot of people yeah. have got, ink, from what I understand, a lot of people have incomplete volumes, uh, sets of yeah. the volumes. You know, they've got 1 to 24, 25, and they're missing the final book. Uh, it's it good be... when that happens. You know, as a long-time yeah. manga collector, it's horrible when scalpers jump on the uh, money train and try yeah. to, like, you know, charge the earth for them, and you, and you're uh, struggling to sort of uh, get hold of them without somebody holding it to ransom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's when I discovered there was the anime from it as well, and then saw that ADV had picked up... Uh, an anime news network there was a big thing about it on there that mm-hmm. adv had licensed it so i bought that in 2005 when it came out it was the first time i saw the anime so mm-hmm. i had it then um and then i bought one or two volumes on ebay of the manga because um you know mm-hmm. i couldn't find a scanlation of it or anything so yeah i bought a, i bought a couple of volumes just so i could you know sort of read it um knowing mm-hmm. that i was never going to have the complete set because <laughs> Even then, by 2005, I think all the volumes had been released, and it was like, well, right. he's like, you're never going to get it. So, mm. um, so yeah. Like trying so, to find the Ark of the Covenant. Or it something. was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 2010, I actually found someone who had scanned the whole lot online. So I, I got that, and I actually started reading it. At the time, I worked for a company that did a lot of printing. So um, just in my final months there, before I moved on to a new job, um, I actually printed the whole thing. <laughs> all, uh, I love the story. All like 12, 1500 pages of it or whatever <laughs> um, in really high quality paper. So uh, no one batted an eyelid. I just sat there printing it off. The printer was just for about a week. It, all it was doing was printing the five star stories. Um and I think because I was leaving, no one gave a damn. They were just like, because uh, we used to burn paper through, because we used to yeah. burn through paper and card, like like a uh-huh. phenomenal volume. With what I, I can't really say what we were doing to give away the company I was working for, but um, <laughs> we burnt through paper. So no one batted an eyelid with the fact that I was getting through yeah. all this paper. So yeah, so I printed it all off on really nice paper, really nice print quality. <laughs> uh, I took a load of folders that weren't being used and you know, created my own five-star story volumes. And not, and not one person came along and said, what's all these no. pictures of robots and effeminate men? No. By the time <laughs> I was getting towards the end of it, and after I'd been doing it for about three or four days, one of the other engineers there kind of said, like, what on earth are you doing? He says, you are using a lot of paper. Because I burned through quite a bit trying to get it right so it printed properly um, as well. And, and And I was like, and I was just sort of showing my shoulders like, I don't give a damn. I'm leaving in three, four weeks' time. So, and he was, and I think he was about to sort of say something to our manager, but he was a bit like, "Oh, do you know what? I can't be bothered," which was quite a surprise because he was quite a spiteful bloke, and I'm surprised yeah. he didn't actually sort of say it. But one of these sort of jobs yeah, with type, he was, yeah. yeah. But so, yeah. So I printed it all off. I've still, so I've still got them. <laughs> these really nice uh, printed out versions of it. So, <laughs> um, but I started reading it from that point, but, um. What I found, uh, you know, is I got to uh, the end of book eight, uh, which mm-hmm. is the sort of end of the first three volumes in um, 
the Japanese. But what yeah. I found was, and you know, we we talked about this, and you've said you've had this problem as well, Craig, is that you know it's so in depth. By the time you get that far down it, it was referring mm. to stuff that happened earlier on, and you know, I actually found it yeah. quite difficult to keep it up. You know. Yeah, definitely. I think that, that can be a quite a common problem with long-running manga where, you know, you'll get a new volume and you'll be like, okay, right, I'm really enjoying it. I'll get to a point where it refers very heavily to something that happened previously and you're like, oh, crap, what happened again then? I read that about like two years ago. You know, go and get the other volume off the shelf and have a leaf. Oh, yeah, right, okay, that's it. But then if if it's if it really, really relies heavily on that and you find yourself going checking every two seconds <laughs> yeah. to a previous volume, it's not good. So, I mean, there's been series as I've had to actually go back and just restart again from the very beginning yeah. because there has been so much stuff in there uh, that I really need to revisit to fully appreciate the story, you know? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll talk about the manga or the first volume of the manga in you know in more detail uh, later on, in, the, yeah. in the podcast. But, um, you know, it's worth saying now that, you know, it is very dense. Very um, much so, yes. It kind of recalls a lot of the sort of sci-fi and fantasy epics of old where, yeah. you know, like, there was huge glossaries at the back, and this does, in fact, have that, like, a yeah. massive glossary, in fact, um, you know, telling you all about the relationships of the different houses and things. Yeah. Um, it kind of recalled uh, June a little bit for me, the Frank Herbert uh, yeah, series, yeah. which has a lot to do with the politics and the kind of yes, yeah. ruling of the different uh, classes and families and how they're at sort of... Uh, at war with each other and there's a lot of backstabbing going on, that sort of thing. Yeah. I suppose a modern equivalent would be some of the Game of, Game of Thrones, wouldn't yes, it, really? Yeah, and it definitely has that really sprawling sort of galactic yeah. epic Scope. to it, you know, scope to it. Because yeah. um, this was, you know, um, Nagano's life work, effectively. Yeah, you know, abs- I mean, absolutely. I mean, you can tell that he's thought of every single aspect of yeah, this universe. Yeah. I get the feeling that it sometimes keeps him awake at night. You know? Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of always, always. Uh, it's probably always on his mind, no doubt. But he's really thought of every single aspect yeah. of, uh, of the sort of uh, world in which the characters inhabit, definitely. And it's quite interesting because, I mean, if you look at what he did, you know, you mentioned Zeta Gundam there. You know, he, he worked mm-hmm. on Heavy Metal Elgheim, um, mm-hmm. you know, which kind of, to me, you know, directed it. But it was as much Nagano's um, anime as, as Tamino sure. because the look... You know, you can see a lot of early prototypes of characters mm-hmm. um, and bits of the story elements, you know, again, because Elgheim sort of spreads this sort of galact- intergalactic sort of political thing, you know, with the ruler, with Poseidon sure. and everything. So, um, and you can see Nagano just kind of went epic mm-hmm. on those some of those elements and created yeah. the five-star stories. Um, and the fact that other than what he did on Zeta Gundam, you know, he didn't do a lot <laughs> else since yeah. 1985, 1986. Just, you know, just how determined to, uh, yeah. you know, completely like lose himself in that universe he is, I guess. And if you look as well, this decade, it's just, uh, you know, he did Gothic Maid, which was just another mm-hmm. extension, uh, sort of, I guess. extension of, of the Five Star Stories, you know, and then mm-hmm. he's retconned, he's gone back to, you know, the Five Star Stories in, in May 2013 and effectively retconned the Five Star Stories mm-hmm. with Gothic Maid, you know, so... Um, you know, you can see that it's this whole thing in his production uh, studio is just focused on Gothic Maiden, the five star stories. I actually need to get around to checking out Elgheim because it's um, it's a series that I haven't actually watched yet, uh, despite it sort yeah. of having this like big sort of status among fans. And it has such a pedigree with having Tamino and Nagano together yeah, and it's yeah. the different elements combining to make something beautiful. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen I've seen Elgheim three times. Um, mm-hmm. I saw it uh, originally. I bought a Hong Kong DVD set of it back in like 2003 <laughs> or something yeah, like that. Yeah, all the old Region Zero bootlegs. Um, God, that was a time, wasn't it? <laughs> so I watched it. I watched it then, which had it had passable. Subtitles, <laughs> you know, it was enough. As bought, many of them did. <laughs> um, so I bought, I bought. It was a two, two volume set over six discs. It had decent video quality. It had passable um, subtitles. I also bought the OVA series. Um, so, I was, so immediately after watching that, I watched the three OVAs and um, Full Metal mm-hmm. Soldier. Um, and I watched it then, and then I think it was M Subs. Uh, they subbed it, so I've watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of times through their through their fan subs as well. If you're listening, M subs, uh, you're definitely a sort of a saviour. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things that we would not have seen if it wasn't for M subs. Yeah. <laughs> or in on some cases we wouldn't have seen a good translation of because I've, yes, I've seen yeah. quite a few ones that have had dodgy Hong Kong subs uh, yeah. or very poor uh, fan subs that they have then kind of rescued yeah. and, and produced not only a better video source but better subs quite often. Yeah, so, so I saw yeah, a lot of a lot of extra stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I saw a lot of stuff originally through Hong Kong DVD, Laser, Elgheim, quite a few of the AT Sunrise shows. Sure. Um, I saw through, um, you know, as the DVD sets were getting released, Idion were getting released mm-hmm. in Japan, and then the HK sets were coming out. So yeah, I, that's you know mm-hmm. that's how I was kind of seeing it. And then like M subs come along and you know did nice video quality and proper subtitles. So sure, you know, it was good to sort of revisit it all again. But I mean, Elgheim, it it is flawed. You know, there's no mm. there's no two ways doubt it. It's got a bit of a slow start, but I love Elgheim. I mean, I it mm-hmm. is. One of my favourite mecha shows. Um, you have when we've been discussing sort of favourites, I've come back to it again and again. So yeah. it's definitely something I'll have to get around yeah, checking out. You know, and I, you know, as you say, at some point I would like to review Elgheim on on the mm. podcast. I, I really, really sure. like, would like to go back to it. And with all the stuff, you know, with um, all these various shows, especially um, Sentai or Made in Japan, you know, they're releasing. Mm. You know, Idiot's now getting a full Blu-ray release, not just a yeah a standard. Definition. Very soon, as a matter of fact. You know, the Bungles getting an official release. Mm. So you know, so um, I'm really, really, really hopeful that um, Elgheim gets a, a Blu-ray mm. release in the West. You know, I, yeah, I, I hope it gets an official release. But seeing that Idiot's got a, a Blu-ray release, um, you know, I'm really, really hoping that you know that the Elgheim gets a, a decent release in the West as well. So, I mean, it sure. has, to, it has, in places, it does have some really, really nice animation. And like mm-hmm. the final, I think the final sort of two fifths of it, from about mm-hmm. episode thirty on to the end. I mean, I it just um, when uh, Letty uh, reappears sort of around episode 30-ish, 32. I mean, it just mm-hmm. goes mental. It just goes ballistic <laughs> until the end of the series. I, I just really, really like it. It's just, there's some great moments cool. in that. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll have a, an in-depth discussion about that one day as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if Idian can get released, I think at this yeah. point, it kind of really opens the uh, floodgates for for all sorts of stuff. Because yeah. I really wasn't expecting that of Autumns to come anytime soon. Yeah. Or Zabungle. So, yeah, yeah th- that was like, a kind of uh, shining ray of light from the heavens, wasn't it? Like, yeah. the Megafans was like, oh. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and that if, was announced. <laughs> and if you look at what Discotech released You're a chorus well. of angels in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
um, yeah, and if you look at what Discotech releasing, you know, God Mars, they're mm. giving um, an official release of. Oh yes, of course, because uh, that that was not long after that 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 announcement came, and there's some pretty obscure stuff there. Yeah, well, it's for the West yeah. coming. Uh, yeah, you know, Baldius is getting the TV series. He's getting a full release on Blu-ray. The, you know, they've now re-released Gashogun on Blu-ray. Yeah, they're getting a full release and stuff as well. So, you know, the last sort of three or four months have seen a real um, flood of sort of old mecha shows, which I, you know, I genuinely would just never thought would yeah. get a release. Same here, same here. Uh, I recently uh, watched uh, Gashogun on uh, DVD and quite enjoyed it. Um, that's. And now I'm kind of thinking, do I upgrade? Because I've yeah. just, just literally bought it. I, you know? I, I, I think that's a little bit <laughs> naughty in some respects. You know, uh-huh. I think it's a little bit naughty to go. You know, I, I can imagine there's licenses, and I'm great that it's got, but um, mm. you know, I, I do find that a little bit naughty as well. You know, I'm really hoping Bowtones <laughs> gets a gets a Blu-ray release as well. But, Same here. I mean, with the flood of stuff that came out like 15 years ago, and then you know the bubble burst in 2007, eight. And then, you know, the whole market changed. Licenses um, were lost and stuff yeah. Yeah, in recent years, unfortunately. You know, and with all the companies, with Bandai and Genion that went out of business, you know, a lot of stuff seemed to be lost. But, um, you know, Cybuster, you know, that's got a release, um, you know, which is a real odd one, um, which I think yeah. is OK. It's great, great animation and I think some great mecha, even if the story's <laughs> a bit. But there's just some really odd stuff which is getting released. So, yeah, yeah I'm really, really... really um, I'm really, really confident. It's that a we'll good. See... It's a good time for yeah. uh, for people with our sort of persuasion, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Right, so we'll move on into the reviews then. So to give a little bit of background about what the Five Star Stories is about, it's about mm-hmm. a cluster of stars called the Joker Star Cluster, uh, where there are the eastern, western, southern and northern stars. The fifth mm-hmm. star being a comet that passes through the cluster every 1500 years, bringing its own planets with it. Overlooking the cluster is uh, Amarat, the god of light who's trying to bring order to the Joker system. So we should give people a little bit of background regarding, you know, the different roles that characters have within the Five Star Story School, because yeah. those are very important. You've got uh, the the main sort of mecha of the series are known as Mortarheads, or MH for short sometimes. Yeah. Um, and they're they're piloted by um, a knight known as a headliner. Yeah. 
and within the motorhead um it's a co-pilot thing is a uh sort of artificial human which is essentially a computer called a fatima mm-hmm. uh which actually kind of controls the motorhead um yeah and does all their sort of targeting and the actual main control and then the sort calculations of calculations the calculations and stuff yeah, and, and you get background about the fact that Dr. Blanche has often produced them in the form of, like, human women, yeah. like humanoid uh, girls, and that sometime in the past they were simply computers that were installed in yeah. there. I mean, am I right in saying that he's the pioneer of making them more human, or were, were people doing that before him? I get the impression that he was the pioneer, because his Dr. Blanche's Fatimas are kind of the most sought-after Yeah, Fatimas. they're the most advanced and the most yeah. human-like. Yeah which unfortunately kind of makes them the target of people. Yeah. But like going into the uh, plot is a lot of to do with what it's about. you know. Um, and one of the key things is that there, there aren't very many Fatimas about because the Mortarheads are mm-hmm. incredibly powerful weapons. Um, yeah, there aren't very like kind of weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, they are that's exactly right. They are. They're weapons of mass destruction. There aren't very many of them about, and therefore there aren't very many Fatimas. So they're very, very sought after. But one of the important things... Um, is that the Fatima has to pick the headliner. Um, you know, it's kind yeah. of... They don't just go off and work with anybody. There has to be a an almost... Connection. An emotional connection. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they have to choose a master. And there's a there's a sort of ceremony, isn't yeah. there? They then have to, like, sort of choose from a crowd of, uh, of people. And the headliners are quite skilled people, yeah. you know. They're not, they're not just any old soldier. You know, they have to, like, be very very capable in order to be able to control yeah. one of these things and then you have um a headmeister who which is like a chief mechanic for a head mortar head these are the mm-hmm. people that actually look after and maintain and sort of fix and in some cases design That's as well right, yeah um like gladios uh, who's who's a kind of engineer and designer of uh of motorheads. yeah so that's kind of the background uh to it so uh we'll get into our reviews of the the manga and the anime. So now we'll uh, do our review of the Five Star Stories manga. So this is covering the first three books in the US release or the first book in the Japanese release. So I think before I start, one of the things I want to say about the manga, and it's one of the reasons that I haven't really got further than I did with it, is that, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much detail in it, is that I spend ages and ages looking at Mm. it and reading all the stuff about it, you know. Yeah. We talked off mic a bit earlier when we were discussing the podcast this episode you know and about how dense it was mm. and you know it really is a very very dense manga very much it? so yeah very much so i mean there's just so much background detail in the actual story itself and then you've got the gl- the glossary and the sort yeah. of bibliography type stuff yeah that gives you a sort of further context to like the role of you know stuff like all the different types of motorhead and art type of thing and then the art's so detailed as well yeah. you find yourself pouring over the art in nagara's yeah, exactly. mechanical design quite a yeah. lot i mean we were talking earlier in the year um 
about Akira and the fact, you know, there's just so much detail in the art and that. Yeah. The big double page spreads and things that I found myself kind of, you know, like probably linger on the page long, a lot more than I would in an average comic. And it's the same with the five star stories. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I certainly haven't read as much manga as, as you've read, you know, I'm working through the uh, Akira set that, that you gave me. And, and other than the first three books of, uh, you know, Japanese books, the first eight volumes mm-hmm. US-wise of the five-star stories. I haven't really read much other manga, mm-hmm. um, apart from uh, Nicole Duciel, the Gundam side story. All right. Yeah, I quite uh, read that. But other than that, I've, I've read very little. But yeah, I mean, because one of the things, you get into this story, and I, I quite like the way this story starts off with this quite sort of detailed prologue. It's interesting that it sort of starts as a prologue, but it's actually the epilogue, because it yeah. starts... At the end of the story, and then it yeah. works its way back to say, these are all. This is the sort of culmination of the important events that led up to everything that that happened. So, yeah. it starts at the end, and then it goes back over to tell you all the important events that led up to that point. Because it's about 180 pages of actual story. If you look across mm-hmm. the three the three volumes, you know, and we've and we've read the US release, so we've read it as the three volumes, as, as presented um, in the early 2000s. Um, so it's about 180 pages in total, and, and 20 yeah. of that, just over 20 of those, is this prologue. And it sets it off, mm-hmm. and then it gets to the end of the prologue, and and then it has this page that then says, this is what happened, that was the year 3960 or something mm-hmm. in the Joker calendar, and now we're going back to the year 2988 to where our story actually began you know and it's quite yeah and it's quite interesting you know and i'd love to know a bit more about where he had that in nagano had that end goal to write yeah. that bit did he did he write i know how this is going to end and i know it's how i'm going to start and then i'm just going to work out how i join the two dots yeah um, absolutely i mean know. it that is a really interesting question and i think that uh, as somebody who writes quite a lot myself i always like to start with the ending because yeah. I feel like, you know, you, there's no way you want to be making something up as you go along because you yeah. write yourself into a corner. Yeah. And then you come up with problems that you then have to solve and think, damn, how am I going to get around that now? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I think that he probably has uh, done the right thing by coming up with that. But it's be interesting to see just to what degree he had planned everything out. Yeah. With this uh, series, definitely. And quite interesting. And, and we're talking about that. And we'll talk about the bit in between. But the other thing I quite like about that as this the first arc of this story is that last mm-hmm. page of yeah. the, the volume and it's that dark page and you've just got Lachesis and Amatarus mm-hmm. together you know you know they're in a lit you're looking at them from behind they're hugging and it's this you know this end scene and I think the way really if you look at the the story the how that first bit plays through with mm-hmm. that prologue then resets to the start of the story then the story plays out and then you get this end bit. I think, I think it's a lovely way of presenting, yeah. a, you know, a story arc. Definitely. It's, it kind of like frames the whole thing. And it reminds me of like anthology films and things and anthology yeah. stories where there's a wraparound segment. Yeah. You know, there's like a story in between the stories, if you know. Yeah. What I mean. Yeah. I like that sort of thing. And I think it works really well. Um, you know, it's, it's just a really good kind of uh, place to start off with, and it and it just just makes you intrigued yeah. as to how it's going to get to that eventual point. The manga volumes have all this detail and and a bit about all the the mortar heads and the headliners and all the Fatimas and everything. So if you read those bits first, you you kind of have a bit of 
you kind of know who these characters are as you get into the story. Um, yeah. I like the way the prologue as well presents, you know, there's this sort of remote house on this remote planet and there's this yeah. fight happening off in the distance, you know, mm-hmm. child's excitement. Oh, it's a motorhead. Yeah. And it gives this thing of this, the mysticism of the whole motorhead and massive war that's ongoing. The fact that, you know, people who pilot the motorhead, the, um, they're like elite warriors and, you know, it's, yeah. it's the sort of thing that a child would get excited about, you know, the fact we kind of see one in action. Yeah, yeah it, it gives you that sort of context of the universe of the Five Star Stories, definitely. That fight frames it around this war is happening around mm-hmm. normal people as yeah. well. Do you know what I mean? They, 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 yeah. You know, they hear it, or the child hears this thing off in the distance, mm-hmm. and his dad or whatever says, oh, there must be mortarheads fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, well, these, you know, this war isn't just fought off in space and whatever. It happens around civilians yeah. and it, a normal ground life. Level. Yeah, at ground level, exactly. Yeah, and I, I really like the way it frames it because that sets, mm-hmm. I think, a, a really good tone for, you know, the joke cluster and the, and the universe of the five-star stories. Certainly it does, yeah. And, and I like the fact also that the knight who uh, is the sort of victor in the uh, opening prologue of, of the battle, he mentions he's a servant of King Corlys V. Yeah. And obviously we're introduced to an earlier King Corlys yeah. In uh, in the manga story, so that gives you a sense of the sort of generations that have passed, and you know the kind of time frame, which yeah. is a really like nice little sort of thing that you you know you might pick up on uh, sort of reading it for the first time. So it gives you that sense of scope, yeah, of you know just how much of a kind of grand sort of fantasy uh, yeah. the, the Nagano's going for with the story, yeah. And then when it gets into the story itself, I think it it quite neatly builds up. You know, it's ramped up the prologue, it then resets, and then it kind of builds up again. Mm, we introduce to Vulard and Ladia Sop, mm-hmm. and then the story, you know, they're meeting, they're going off to the debut of the new Fatimas, mm-hmm. and the story there, and, and how they're presented to everyone. And I, I love the way it builds up. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of escalation, because it's a lot of character yeah. stuff. Um, first between uh, Balanche and uh, Sop, and then between yeah. uh, Sop and Vulard. Um, getting to know each other and the, the whole debut thing and, you know, giving you the sort of background of the farmers. Then leading up to finally, you know, the big kind of showdown with the Night, Night of Gold and everything like that. Yeah. So it, it just does have this really good sense of pacing. Just kind of hooks the reader and I've, I feel it definitely hooked me. I really enjoyed the progression yeah. of it and the fact that it starts off with that sort of like grand battle, then yeah. slows right down, like you say, then builds itself back up to more action again. So definitely that is one of the, the things that I really enjoyed about it. Yeah, and I, I love... You know, the way it, it introduces these characters and it sets this scenario up. And I like the way it establishes the Fatima, mm. you know, what they are. And yeah. obviously gives these hints about the evolution of the Fatima. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as they've progressed, they've got more sophisticated and more human-like, mm-hmm. you know, and how they've become, you know, when we're introduced to Juba mm-hmm. and his character and his nephews or step-nephews, you know, and this sleazy. And there's a yeah. comment one of them makes... And I think it's with Lachesis or Clotho. Um, I think it's before Clotho runs off. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the, I think it's Decor, makes this implication that they all get involved in like gang sexual assault yeah. sort of thing. You know, and like it's really? like, no, no, this one. I mean, it's really, it's kind of really creepy. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It is, yeah. And in fact, there's a scene, I, I don't recall if the scene is in both versions or it's just in the movie, but there's, there's a scene, isn't there, where it kind of 
it sort of insinuates that they've sort of been up to something with women or possibly uh, like sort of androids. And then they're called yeah. to, to battle, so they can jump out of whatever sleazy activities they're engaged yeah. in and yeah. get into their uh, motorheads because they're kind of they've been interrupted. And you know that really sleazy tone is is, is quite prevalent because there's um mm. a bit where Juba's talking to Amatarus and um you can see him like touching his leg like yeah. his inner thigh oh, it's really like skin crawlingly creepy mm. but really really well presented and if you look at the sort of facial expressions on Amatarus and Juba mm-hmm. and there's it's only about three panels and it's three quite small panels across a top of a page i think but it's just brilliantly you yeah know, it, it pictures paint a thousand words there's not very much discussion but you can see how uncomfortable mm. amateurus is and how Definitely. this like you know this sleazy creepy manner that juba has you know Absolutely, and it's like yeah. this is how he is and he just does this to everyone and his mm. little sleazy pervy nephews are exactly the same and it yeah it really really is quite it's not really graphic but it's very very it gives you enough to know you know yeah. what sort of character he is yeah definitely Up, you know very very sort of front and center as to what these people are like mm-hmm. and almost sort of horrific things they kind of get up to yeah know. it's kind of like, it's very know, clever in how it's how it shows that you know yeah it's it's just sort of subtle enough isn't it and it's you know you get the sense that you know well, some of the really kind of like horrendous things that they engage in it's just kind of like a tuesday for them you know it's, yeah there's yeah. not there's no you know, it's yeah. uh, it's just kind of like very mundane and every day. Yeah. And all the sort of uh, all the and crazy activities that they get up to. And flip side from being uh, like that as well is you know there is a bit of comedy through the manga as well. Mm. And you know Nagano's not scared of having sort of very what I want to say um, sort of Saturday morning cartoonish character yeah. characterization or caricatures of the characters in moments because I think there's a bit where where Lachesis says to Sop, you know, in a in a bit of a flashback through the manga about building him a, building her a, a, a more head of gold. And mm-hmm. you know, and he's he's like he has this sort of look in his face is like, Oh you're like you're not asking for much <laughs> But it's done in like a really, really caricature y goofy yeah. sort of way, you know, and he's not you know, and against the tone of the very serious, very high detail mm-hmm. sort of look of the manga, you know, it, it's it it sits quite well, I think. You know, and it definitely it does. Of, yeah, highlights I, that playfulness in it. Very much so, and there is quite a lot of humour that's communicated purely through Scarlet's facial expressions and things, and yeah. a lot of visual gags and things like that. There's the total contrast between the decadence of like the Juba and how uncomfortable uh, Sop is to like Eulard yeah. and uh, Sop's relationship. And the fact that that's played entirely for laughs, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the, the kind of fact that he he's almost kind of uh, forgets that he's a guy at points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bit where he sees him in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He comes in, he goes, oh, the door's locked. He's a very trusting bloke. And then walks in and sees him in the shower and it's like, wow, you've got a body, you know. And, it's <laughs> and then like, everything about and then him, he's like, completely he's like, wrong. he's a guy, he's a guy, he's a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sort of repeating it to himself like a mantra. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's like that sort of comedy for it is is quite good. And I actually like the way it, it shifts with that because if you look at the very ending of that story arc um, mm-hmm. and the bit where Amaterus and uh, Lachesis are together, mm-hmm. um, there's this bit where he reveals this um, LED mortarhead mm-hmm. um, 
well, Lachis just realizes that she's built to kill people. Yeah. You know, she is a weapon of war. And, mm. and all the way through, that hasn't really been apparent to the Fatimas. Exactly, yeah. Kind of thing, you know. And then and then there's this realisation, and he says, well, hopefully you, you Fatimas are going to be the ones that stop this insanity you know, yeah. of, of war sort of thing. But really, that's, you know, as we know, that's only the start of a much longer thousand, thousand years of conflict, you know. Yeah. And that kind of ties in with what Sop there says about the fact that he wants to make um, farmers that aren't actually used yeah. for war. And I suppose it would be closer to what Blanche's vision became eventually, because obviously he yeah. started off creating tools and weapons and ended up, they end up kind of, you know, evolving into being thought of as his daughters. Yeah, because Lachess is Clotho and... Atropo, you know, he effectively sees them as his daughters, mm. you know, and there's this kind of sadness when that section where he's, um, you know, they're in the garden and, and he's with Ladius and he says, well, you know, they'll be adults by the time they come out of the capsules and be, yeah. that'll be it, they'll go off to debut and they'll be, go off as weapons of war sort of thing, you know, mm. and there's a, a real sadness in Definitely, in and in fact, you know, he also mentions um, that uh, one of them's been taken, at least one of them has been taken from him by Jubal yeah. already for yeah. you know dodgy purposes so yeah obviously any any sort of father would be like totally mortified that yeah. that happened to his daughter so you can tell he's filled with great sadness and regret about how things have turned out and the other thing as this story plays out as well there's sort of hints through the story of people aren't quite what they seem you know there's a bit where Ladius talks to well Vulard and Vulard's with some of his his crowd or whatever and he mentions a mortar head and he's like no no i haven't got a mortar head don't know what you're talking about <laughs> you know yeah there's a couple of bits that allude to relationships that aren't explicitly explained there are things that are like you know they're, they're hinted at which will only make sense by the end of the first yeah. volume you know you'll you'll be like ah right so that's what that conversation was about and and that yeah. is that is well handled because it gives you just enough to sort of scratch your head about and think hmm what's all that um yeah. sort of driving at uh, it's clearly important to the uh, to the story. Then the payoff with that, when the identities are revealed at the end, is really good. Yeah, yeah, and I think all the way through, Ladius had this ghost comes to him, and he find out this ghost relationship with Ladius was, you know, and how the reveal with Ladius comes and all that. You know, it's just it's just really nice. It's just subtle mm. hints here and there. You yeah, know, just a few just a few panels, dropping a few hints, and then ties up there's a little bit more and then you get the, the reveals later on you know mm-hmm. and that really really plays out that you, and you get this hint of politics you and, do yeah you know and with the with the prologue and the ending you know you get this thing it's just it's all just building up to something bigger mm-hmm. you know and I, I love the way that the ending actually gets to like a cliffhanger yeah or essentially you know mm-hmm. it's like I hope this doesn't come. You know this is terrible war going to happen, but yeah, it's fascinating um, how it's presented. It really is, yeah. I think that um, there's just so much attention to detail has went into yeah. like, the planning of it. And I think that Nagano obviously has a very strong sense of like how something should be plotted and yeah. and how pacing can be achieved really well. He just yeah. he just seems to have a good handle on, on writing, basically, and I'd be very yeah. interested to see uh, more of the five-star stories, the manga going forward. I don't know how likely a US release is <laughs> at this point, considering how long it's been around. But yeah. then again, never say die, because like you know, there's been quite a few things coming out recently. We were talking earlier about mecha releases we never thought we'd see. 
well, yeah. Seven Seas and a, quite a few, and a couple of other yeah, companies yeah. have been uh, really kind of burning the torch for old manga lately and releasing yeah. all sorts of stuff that we never thought would come out. And it's surprising. Old anime certainly very niche, and you know, old manga's the same, but there was certainly a lot more presence for old anime in recent years with labels like Discotech yeah, yeah. than there has been for old manga. I think yeah. a lot of people look at old manga and they think it even looks even more dated, you know, like yeah, not yeah. the five star sorry, because that has exceptionally good art and it's not that old. But I'm talking about things going further back than that, like things from the seventies are starting to appear in print. Yeah. So I think if something like Captain Harlock or Devilman, which a lot of yeah, people yeah. will will look upon as having dated art, not personally me, I love the art of those, but yeah. some people will look at that and think, right, Christ, that looks a bit dated by today's standards. If that can come out then I think maybe yeah. the five star series actually has a chance. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Devilman was the example I was going to use. Stuff like some of that classic stuff has got re-releases. So mm-hmm. I think potentially there is a market for it. And I think some of the, you know, a lot of people who maybe missed out on collecting the later volumes mm-hmm. of the manga 15, 16 years ago would still, because you say it's not that old. It's you know, it's 33 years old now. Well, you know, I think by, yeah, <laughs> by our standards, it's not. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's, by it's, our stand. Sorry, um, yeah, yeah in, in relative terms, shall we yeah. say? <laughs> well, thirty-two years old. You know, it's been. Yeah. Out, it, I guess know, I think it's still. Of... I guess I still think of things from the eighties as not being too old. But then, <laughs> so I was having a conversation with somebody at work about a film that was made in the nineties, and like they're a bit younger than me, and they thought that was an old film, and I was kind of like, really? The, the more I thought about, it, I thought, yeah, it is, <laughs> but like, yeah, it doesn't seem that way. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, nineteen. Yeah, I heard this in 14 months' time. 1990 will be 30 years ago. You know, it's... Uh, That's nuts. That really is it's nuts. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't feel so, that uh, way, but I'm obviously... No. <laughs> you know, it doesn't... The 90s don't feel like a long time ago. No. But it was 30 years ago, the 90s yeah, started. So, pretty, pretty yeah, sober you know, so thought, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I do, I do hope, you know, it's such a high-quality manga that I do <laughs> hope that it gets a release. Same here. Um, I mean, even if it was a digital release or something, it might be a yeah. candidate for something like that. I mean, yeah. I talked on my blog a little while back about the E1 book, which is the kind of, yeah. which is like a sort of digital reading device that looks like a book, you know, it's bound, it's got yeah. like a, a sort of outer case that's like a book with a dust cover and everything, but it's got one entire series on it digitally, yeah. and it's the generally like a cheaper price than buying all the physical volumes, and you've got yeah, yeah. one tiny bit of shelf space took up, that might be a good candidate for five star stories. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the um, that ebook thing is a the five star stories is a perfect candidate mm-hmm. for that device. Or maybe like a service like Comixology and the digital manga yeah. stuff would be a good shout as well. Yeah, you know, going on to the artwork, you know, the artwork is it's a very unique style. The, the, the artwork in it is supremely detailed. You know, it's you know there is masses of details. We said mm. you can really, you know, even sort of five or six pages into the from the start of it, you get one of these lovely double page spreads of mm. the fight between the, the Mirage Knight and the Black Knight, you know, it's, you know, and it's just brimming with detail and, you know, all the little sound, you know, the, um, the, the Kana showing all the sound effects and yeah. stuff, you know, and it's, and it's full of that sort of thing. And it's quite unique looking. I still think Nagano's character designs, you know, there's a lot of tall, beautiful, willowy, yeah sort of people in it you know it's a very mm-hmm. distinctive style but i still and again you you probably know more than this you read a lot more of it than i do but you know you don't see it in anime that art style no. in anime you know you saw it in the the um, elgheim 
Mm-hmm. You know, because that was very much a Nagano sort of create, design, you know, sure. design show. And you see it in the, the, the manga, the Five Star Wars manga, but you don't, it's, you know, no one else has really copied it. Yeah, you know, I, see, no I, one, I would agree no, with that, yeah. Because he's kind of, um, he has this thing, it's sometimes he draws the same character like slightly differently um, yeah. when it's in a different, how can I put it, it's like a stylistic thing when he chose yeah. a sort of, a face-on portrait, like, you know, as if you were looking at the character face-on, he sometimes draws the uh, face in quite a different shape with quite angular yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he just does have a very distinctive style, both with people and and his mecha, that isn't really you know, a very typical style at all. Um, I right. mean, well, certainly he's definitely uh, head and shoulders above a lot of other uh, mecha designers in terms of his, like, detail. But his characters do look distinctive, too. Yeah. Because, I say, you can clearly see, because a lot of the... Even though there isn't a huge amount of Mortarhead actually in the manga, I mean, there's the bit of the battle at the beginning, and then you literally mm-hmm. go almost two complete volumes. You go another hundred pages before you see a Mortarhead yeah. again, really, don't you? you That's know, right, then, yeah. then there's the battle at the end. Latchis, they have the debut. She rejects all the masters. Juba thinks he's he's got her, but then mm-hmm. Ladius sort of mans up a bit and comes and they run off together. Yeah, um, ably sort of supported by the Mirage Knights, mm-hmm. um, they go off, and then Juba goes with his two nephews because you see you see the them presented, but they're only sort of again it's only one or two panels of them. Yeah, and then you get the final battle between Juba and Ladius, and he uses the Buster Launcher, which is, again is a weapon which is lifted straight from, from El- Elgheim. Yeah, you know, used on the Mark II Elgheim. But that's it, you know, and it's probably only twelve pages. Of the Something like that, actually, yeah. you know, to that final battle. In I mean, terms of like the overall page count of the manga, it's really not yeah. a lot. But like you say, that escalation works in its favour. The fact that yeah. you've waited quite a long time for this stuff to appear in it, and it has meaning and context yeah. in the story because we now, you know, know a lot more about uh, the roles of the farmers and things. And like you said, there's that kind of scene where there's that realization, uh, you know, that from. Um, Latches is that she is a tool for killing yeah. people, um, and that has a lot of like gravity. You yeah, know, it has a lot of dramatic uh, impact, um, and it just does seem to be very well kind of like planned out in terms of the overall evolution of the story, really. Yeah, but then it certainly on... comes in at the right point, and it's. I mean, I'd be interested to know um, going forward in the future volumes how much mega action there is in other yeah. uh, volumes. But it's. I know. I have the feeling that it'll appear much like in this first volume when it needs to for the dramatic yeah, effect of the yeah. story. Because ultimately it's a very character-driven mm. story. You know, it's all about Amaterus and <laughs> Latchis because it builds up to them, you know, the, it says he's the Emperor of Light, you know, and, and Latchis is, is the key to solving the Joker Cluster's um, problems, you know, mm. and, and bringing peace about. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how much... More because as I said, I'd read those two other, mm-hmm. the other two volumes of, of the original story arc, um, but it was ten years ago, and I, mm. I can't quite remember how yeah, what happened in revisited. it. I need to go back revisit it again. As so. we said earlier on, you know, it like the series is that <laughs> a lot, uh, probably you know, a lot more sort of fresh in my mind that I've read multiple times. Where there's still a couple of plot points where I think, oh yeah, I've got to go back and yeah. recheck that. <laughs> I mean, it's mainly ones that aren't finished yet that, you know, have quite sprawling epic storylines. Yeah. Berserk comes to mind, you know, that is just, there is so much to that story 
and I've yeah. been reading it since the early 2000s, like, you know, going on 18 years now. And yeah. still, they start, you know, when a new volume comes out, it's like, all oh, right, yeah, I'll just go to my shelf and pick up this. Oh, yeah, that was right. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you, outside of the um, manga itself, you know, especially at the back of the book, uh, each volume, mm-hmm. you know, there's probably about 10 or 12 pages of, you know, glossary, timeline, you know, explanation of the mortar head, the buster weapons, because there's three types of buster weapon. There's the Faust, the Rock, and the Launcher. Mm-hmm. You know, just describes, what's it called? The Temple Palace, the Floating Temple. Mm-hmm. You know, Amaterasu's the, the kind home of kingdom, world of the I guess. kingdom of the Mirage Lights and everything. You know, and you can clearly see he's thought so much about this mm. universe. You know, he's really, really thought about it. And I love that sort of detail. You know, Same I love here. the fact that it's, Tomino did with the original Gundam series. You know, he had thought a lot about actually the start of the Universal Century and what mm-hmm. led up to the One Year War. Yeah, because um, even though in the original yeah. TV series it doesn't explicitly go into a lot of um, the nitty gritty of the politics, you can you can that stuff's inferred. Yeah, and that was clever. I think that um, you know that it gives you just enough to to kind of draw your own conclusions yeah. about things to do with Zeon and that sort of thing. You know, like how people came to power and what led to, to yeah. what happened. It drops these hints of these events that led up to the One mm. Year War. And, and Nagano's the same. If you look at the timeline, you know, he's really thought from a few centuries or a few millennia from now, mm-hmm. rather, and the build-up to the space exploration, how it reversed, the start of the Joker calendar, yeah, um, and all the rest of it. You know, he's really, really put a lot of thought into how where this story plays out and these big events in in mm. this universe and you know and, and the effect they have on each other in the different houses and that you know it's fantastic yeah he certainly has i mean and also uh, an interesting thing i mean i'm sure this because this is a translation uh it was a translated version and there'd probably been more than one japanese edition previously yeah i'm sure that's why some things that are explained and shown in like uh for example motorheads that don't appear in the story are shown and it's probably because of the fact you know that it's a new edition, but the stuff that doesn't even appear in those volumes, it's shown. Yeah. You know, because I've, I've known some manga where it'll introduce something that's in that volume in the sort of uh, glossary, but actually there's lots of stuff just for purely for background information, which I'm assuming yeah. you'll see later. Yeah. But it's not actually necessarily relevant to that volume, but it's, but it's there and it's explored for the sort of reader. So that's quite interesting all, as well. Because all the way through it as well, you know, there's a, in one of the bubbles, there'll be an asterisk. And then there'll be a little footnotes explaining what it is. You know, there's just yeah. I mean, there's loads and loads to it. You know, and as you say, it's it's referring to stuff, and whether that becomes relevant later on, or you know, it refers to something that has happened in the past that led up to that point. You know, it's that yeah. that level of detail in it's um it is absolutely fantastic. Because the other thing that's quite interesting the the Buster weapons mm-hmm. and their destructive power. Because you don't get this from the manga, but if you read the section about the Buster launcher. Um, you know, their weapons, they're so powerful that they're useless. You know, there's a lot of allegory to the Cold mm. War, like there was in a lot of yeah. 80s um, anime and manga. You know, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, the, the fact that the Cold, you know, it was a kite of the Cold War and the, the planet was on the brink again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of things that were sort of aren't nuclear weapons, but are effectively... Yeah, the equivalent, substitute. sort of the fictional equivalent of, yeah. yeah. Like that whole kind of stalemate thing of like nobody wins really if you use yeah. something like that and 
So I guess it's a similar thing to using two buster launchers against each other. <laughs> Nobody's walking away from that. Yeah, you know, because Natchez and Aladios fire it in the Night of Gold, you mm. know, and it completely obliterates two, well, three mortar heads and the Do-Ray, which is this massive carrier, mm-hmm. you know, which was powering up its own buster launcher. And it's just this smouldering thing. And you get, well, effectively, what is the after-effector of a nuclear weapon? You get a big mushroom cloud and you get the big, funny, sort of ionised air yeah, sort of hovering in it. And a big it. kind so, of crater of wasteland yeah. beneath. <laughs> so it's, you know, <laughs> so it's interesting how the real world events and the environment that the or the state of the world was in and the mm. things, the politics that were happening um, have inspired actually that sort of story. inspired it, you know, and you see it creep into all sort of aspects. Yeah, definitely. Um, at the time. So, yeah, so I think we've coming to the end of the review of the manga and, and to wrap up you know i think it's it's just such a fantastic bit of work you know mm. and the detail in it if you're not really a regular manga reader um, but you're a mecha fan i really do think you should go and check out the manga absolutely really, really maybe do. even if you're not because it's got like uh, so much more than uh, yeah. sort of mecha elements as we've already discussed and it, you know, it just has that tradition of grand fantasy, if you like. Yeah. Epic works with like a lot of detail in the universe, and a lot of yeah, and it absolutely. has a very classic feel. Yeah. Um, despite having a lot of unique elements to it, it has a, a feel of a lot of classic uh, fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah. Um, that I think you'll appreciate, especially if you like to get really lost yeah. in a sort of fictional universe. It's got all that stuff. It's, it'll definitely yeah. be something for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the detail and, and everything and the story and the drama and the build up of the politics, it's it's fantastic. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely one that people should should go and uh, check out. Do you have a written for it or? Yeah, I think as I think a volume fact, rather than obviously. I mean, as a volume, I think it's. I mean, it's interesting to think about it as a volume because it's you know it has the ending and has the build up and ends on this cliffhanger, which would make you want to go more. And I think it works as a kind of self-contained story. Mm-hmm. I think if if no more had come after it, I mean yeah. we know that more did, but you know we're we're just looking at book one at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, and the way it ends on that cliffhanger, I'm I'm assuming that Nagano had something to follow up on it, but yeah. you know, effectively it would work as a self-contained story because it ends on this saying, well, you know, I hope you're going to end this war you yeah. know we know how terrible it was from the mm-hmm. prologue so the fact that whenever i pick it up i can't put it down and i end up taking two or three times as long as i probably would to read something normally <laughs> you know it's got to be like a nine or ten because yeah you know, I, I absolutely love the ten detail for me, in it. definitely um because i yeah. just think that uh it just has everything you could possibly want out of uh, a piece of fiction to kind of immerse yourself yeah, in I, yeah i agree it's 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 really, really compelling stuff. You know, as we said before, I actually read, watched the film before I read the manga, as we, mm. we talked about in our introduction. But once I started reading the manga, I, un- I really, really understood what all the fuss was about, mm. you know, yeah. and why it's such a revered series and why it's carried on. And, you know, if you look at, even in Mecha, well, it feels even outside of Mecha circles, but within the that community, the sort of sci-fi, manga, anime community, it's just mm-hmm. such a revered thing. Yeah, you know, it's almost and rightly so. Yeah, yeah, it almost feels like this holy grail. Of, Absolutely, yeah. People do talk 80s. about it in kind of revered tones, I would say, especially. Yeah, like, I mean, there's a there's a guy who's got an entire Twitter account dedicated just to the five star stories. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so. Um, I was going to mention this, and we didn't mention this in the uh, in the interest, but I was going to say Zip um, at Bangdol two nine eighty nine 
you know, he has loads and loads of detail about the five star stories, and he's constantly digging out stuff about it. So, I mean, one of the things I that I learned early on um, as well was that before Nagano got into sort of animation and writing manga and that, he was a fashion designer. Right. You know, and I think that is really, really evident. I think it is, the... yeah. Like now that you've mentioned, I would say I had no idea about that, but like now that I know that, you can see the flamboyant heroes and all that sort of thing, you know, and like the kind of effeminate outfits some of the male characters have and that sort yeah. of thing. That kind of lends itself well to his to his kind of early. Because uh... I think he was a, um, oh, yeah. he was in some sort of band as well, and I think right. he was a big cosplayer in the early eighties. Mm-hmm. I think he used to cosplay as Shah a lot, or used to play guitar in a mm-hmm. rock band as Shah, or something like that. But <laughs> that was what he was doing before he started writing manga and designing, right. you know, Elgheim and doing all the animation stuff. So, but that that fashion designer background, I think, is really element because if you look at the the, the clothing and mm-hmm. the character design, and and if you look at like the big ship, um, the Temple Knights or Amaratus's um, flagship. Mm-hmm. Um, thing you know there's lots of really graceful design yeah you know really real elegance to it you know there's absolutely yeah that's, that's a really good way to put it actually it does have this kind of elegance about it and since he is the emperor of light and he is the kind of like yeah you know overall hero if there is one single hero in the story i mean obviously there's many but he is the kind of flagship character it yeah. does stand to reason being the kind of you know the this like a gallant sort of character yeah. that he had everything he possesses, including his flagship, has that kind of elegance to it. Yeah. Because he yeah, is a kind of look... old-fashioned gallant knight, always a god, but he's also yeah. like an old-fashioned gallant kind of like white knight, I guess. Yeah. Because if you look at like the big, long-flowing hairstyles mm-hmm. and the detail in the clothing and the low-flowing gowns and stuff, you know, it's... Um, especially if you look at, outside of the actual um, story bit, um, some of the other art that's included... Mm-hmm in these books you know there's a lot of sort of high fashion yeah on the characters you see them in lots of different outfits mm-hmm. and and i think that's where you can really see nagano the fashion designer yeah he's obviously enjoyed of, kind of flexing his creative muscles yeah, with the outfits and think yeah. oh let's put put uh, this character in this in this scene yeah um especially since you know they're going to the debut and it's like this big grand event yeah that does that does work in the context of this particular volume Yes, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Craig. Yeah, there's a so, lot of high yeah. society types gathering and yes. stuff, isn't there? So there is. Yeah, and you know the debut and the way the Fatimas are presented, it's like a catwalk, like a yeah. fashion show as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? You know that whole the way that is presented. So yeah, the more you think about it, actually, the more you can see that mm-hmm. world of fashion pervading through the the artwork. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, actually, it, it's it's got to be a ten. It was just something about the five star stories. I mean, it really is this engrossing epic tale. Speaks to the mega fan in you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, absolute 100% recommendation from me. I'm definitely going to try and uh, check out more of it. And hopefully, the gods of uh, sort of mega sci fi and fantasy willing will get more of it. Yeah. I have to say, it has. Yeah, definitely. Because reading it again for this review has re inspired me to go back and read Mm. it again. And I would definitely go back and try and, and read a bit more of it you know it's, sure yeah, that's it's one of the great things about doing this podcast is you know like it actually motivates you to get around to things because as much as i love um you know sort of pouring through lots of like anime and manga that i've never read or seen before um it's just one of those things is sometimes finding the time in this kind of busy yeah. modern world that we live in and working yeah. full time 
it can be uh, pretty challenging to fit things in. Yeah. So to know that we're coming round to reviewing something that I've been meaning to check out for years, I think, well, I'm going to yeah. leave it till this review and then I'll finally, yeah. I've got a, I've got a place in my schedule for it that's, you know, it's 100% <laughs> sort of left for that particular series and it's definitely, yeah. we're definitely going to get around to it. Yeah, so that yeah, is great. So, you know, all, all the stuff we've got lined up, I think, right, I'm finally getting around to checking this out. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely, definitely is a, a spur to uh, check stuff out, isn't it? Mm. So, anyway, to wrap, to wrap up that review, um, yeah, from both of us, if you like cool mecha design and nice artwork, check out the five star stars manga. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 100% uh, in agreement. Um, as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> So now we'll get into the review for the uh, Five Star Stories anime. This was a 1989 movie directed by Kuzio Yamazaki. Uh, music was by Tomoyuki Asakawa. Uh, it was produced by Sunrise. Yamazaki had a few other sort of significant directorial credits as well. He directed the Urusai Yatsura TV series and a few of the movies. Mm-hmm. He also did the Please Save My Earth movie. He directed the Samurai OVA and he also was the chief director on The Slayers, the motion picture. The Joker Galaxy, Ladios Sop, an engineer, is tasked by his longtime friend Dr. Balanche with rescuing his android creation, Lachesis, from the clutches of a wealthy lord who intends to use her as a sex slave. However, Sop is not all he seems to be. So, the Five Star Stories movie, it gets off to quite an interesting start, mm. I would say. You know, we see this Fatima in development, um, and then we get into this brief explanation about what a mortar head and a Fatima and a headliner is. Yeah, there's quite a good um, explanation of that for the non-manga readers, I would say. Yeah. You know, succinctly putting that information at the beginning in quite a digestible way. Yeah, and I think it does it quite well by showing the battlefield and then sort of the context of the Mortarhead and the various roles within the series, the, yeah. the sort of series. You know, and it gets off to a very uh, sort of grand start because then, one, you know, you see the, the Fatima sort of in its final development phase um sure and everything you know yeah we see dr blanche kind of uh looking overseeing the development i guess yeah and this fatima as well is you know is kind of the heroine of the story lachesis Mm -hmm. yeah and she's pretty much his ultimate creation really yeah he's kind of pioneered this kind of form he's made several different daughters yeah as he refers to them it's like he he cares about them a lot like they're his children and this is his kind of like masterwork and from there it kind of then sort of jumps around a little bit we go to uh, Delta Balloon and we see mm-hmm. Amarats and the Mirage yeah, Knights like... and, and then we go to Adler and we get introduced to Ladius Sop mm-hmm. you know who's kind of like the hero of the story really you yeah. know he has although a... he often gets confused for a heroine yeah <laughs> <laughs> As do a few of the characters in this uh, yeah. anime, actually. They uh, do, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of effeminate characters, and yeah. that seems to be one of uh, Nagano's uh, sort of character design traits. You know, and, and that's and that is a carry on from Elgheim. 
there's quite a lot of humour regarding that yeah. as well in both the anime and the manga that uh, the character of uh, Vulard, who we'll get to in a little while, yeah. um, he he sort of, despite knowing that he's a guy, yeah. still still quite fancies him regardless. <laughs> so, I mean, it's quite interesting, and it's probably worth, because it's quite a, a common theme throughout the five-star stories, and, and it's really, you know, just looking at the anime, uh, you know, it's quite prevalent that there's all these sort of very, very feminine-looking characters, mm. a lot of which yeah. are men. You get a lot of male... Um, yeah, characters going on about how beautiful these other male characters are, and like you say, when mm-hmm. Vulard he gets a bit drunk and a bit horny, and um, <laughs> you know <laughs> tries it on with Vladius, <laughs> you know, absolutely. And it's um, and that's a big theme of the uh, the first volume of the manga and this and the film is, you know, it's a lot to do with these wealthy lords' yeah. advances towards the Fatimas and the fact that yeah. they want to prevent them being chosen by a headliner and uh, instead want to keep them for themselves yeah, as a kind yeah. of sex toy, really. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's a theme, it does pop up as a theme in a lot of sci-fi to do with androids, yeah. you know, everything from Blade Runner to, you know, like a lot of cyberpunk stuff um, particularly. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it is very central to the theme yeah. of the story is, is sex and sort of like people trafficking, I guess, really. Yeah. Uh, or android trafficking in this case. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of the characters are very um, androgynous in this, aren't they? Yeah, uh, very know. androgynous. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the thing is, is and a lot of these lords are so sort of wealthy. It's kind of like you know the whole theme is they can do whatever yeah. they want. You know, they're they're really sleazy. You know, there's the character of Juba who's a very you know he's a sort of really overweight, sort of disgusting kind yeah, of. Yeah, he's a really grotesque predator. character. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's like a real sexual predator, and he's yeah. he's horrible. It's like some really kind of like skin crawling scenes involving yeah. is it towards uh towards Lachesis. but he really does see he really does see the fatimas just as trophies and and yeah. not really for their kind of actual work Intense. as fatimas as you know the computers of mortarheads mm. you know he yeah he really and that really comes across and i think that those early scenes in the anime the way the anime kind of skips across because you know the the whole setup at the start of the film, I think, is really good because it, you know mm-hmm. it, it sort of it does jump around a little bit. Yeah. You know, and especially you you get the grand entrance of Amaterus, um, yeah. you know, on the on their massive sort of sail ship and everything. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Juba lives in you know grand style and and everything else. Yeah. You know, so that you know everyone's there for the preview of the Fatimas. That's right. Yeah. They're all. It's like a massive event, isn't it? Like yeah. Everyone gathers from across the sort of galaxy to yeah. like attend. To see what Doctor Belanche's latest creations are going to look like. Yeah. And uh, in this particular instance, you know, the Lachesis's uh, debut is like particularly um, anticipated because she looks so lifelike and human. Yeah. Uh, people are like stunned by both her beauty and the fact she's so advanced. Yeah. So a lot actually happens at the start, and it does jump around quite a bit. Those sort of first mm. fifteen minutes, because one of the things yeah. that happens quite regularly through the movie is you get all these flashbacks to when Lachesis, uh, Clotho and Atropo were young mm-hmm. girls before they kind yeah. of went back in the capsules and then sort of became adult batteners, um, yeah. essentially. In the first 15 minutes, there is a lot of jumping around and there is. refers to, makes a lot of things that do actually make a lot of sense by the end of the film. But, yeah, but at, know, first, at first, might it might be a little bit jarring. Yeah, because yeah. I think it's one of those things... You know, and I'll say this now: it's one of those things, movies that I really benefits from multiple viewings. Yeah, it does. 
I would say so. I mean, I've watched it twice in preparation yeah. for the review. Yeah. And even having read the manga, uh, you know, it's it is something that it just has a lot to take in. Yeah. I mean, having having that background of reading the manga, it's certainly easier to understand than the first viewing. Yeah. But it's just one of those things that the universe of the five star stories is so vast. Yeah. And there's so many things, even in this, you know, what is essentially a very small part of the overall yeah. uh, manga and uh, and the story. It's just a lot to digest, really, isn't it? Yeah, if you were a Mecha fan mm-hmm. and, and sort of going through the, the classics of Mecha anime and you pick mm-hmm. this up, not really understanding or having read the manga... The greater or, context. And, and the greater context. Of, if you look at, you know, reviewing that, I think the first 15 minutes could be very, very confusing in this. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I will, you know, I would definitely say if you watch it, do go back and watch it again because your second view it will be a much, yeah. much kind of better experience, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that um, it may be some, it may be a bit divisive among people who are looking, you know, solely for sort of mega stuff because yeah. really it's not that sort of focused on the mega no. themselves. I mean, obviously over time the manga I'm sure like has a lot more mega action in it. Yeah. But certainly as far as the movie um, is concerned, you know, it it's I think it's well paced. Yeah. And it's very entertaining, but a lot of that stuff doesn't show up until towards the end. Although you see the mega, there's not a lot of action. Yeah. Until the end, really. But we'll get to that. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead a little no, bit. No, no, no. It's, it's a good point to make because it is only 68 minutes long. It's not a long <laughs> film. Um, yeah. And as you say, I do think the pacing in it is quite good, you know, and it builds stuff up. There's a lot of good character stuff in there. There is a lot of really good character stuff. And I, and I think it really does fit a lot of story and a really cohesive mm-hmm. story within the 68 minutes. Once you get past that initial setup, it does quite a job. You establish all the main characters. You know who Ladios is, you know, you know Vulard, you know the Mirage Knights, Amaterus, you know, the Mirage Knights are Juba, the context, Balanche, the fact, you know, you, mm-hmm. you get the context of what's going on. And then what's quite interesting from there, you know, I say within this sort of quite short running time is you get an awful lot of political manoeuvring. Um, yeah, you really do, yeah. You know, because uh, you get the bit, then Clotho runs off. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you get King Kolos the third turn up, you know, he kind of... Yeah. Uh, there's a lot happening sort of in the shadows. A lot of people who don't oh, reveal yeah. their true intentions and it kind of... Or even the true identity in Yeah, cases. exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's like, you know, there's a couple of characters who aren't uh, what they seem to be. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, there's definitely a lot of uh, kind of political intrigue and sort of, you know, yeah. puppet master sort of stuff going on, you know. Yeah. People pulling other people's strings and, you know, getting them exactly uh, where they want them, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's, there's just so much in it in terms of um, this sort of uh, background and plot that it, it, there is a lot to kind of get through in your first view yeah. and kind of digest if you're not a manga reader. And I love the way it kind of does that because I've, I don't know, I've watched this a lot. I've, I, you know, I watched uh-huh. it, the DVD I had quite a few times. Um, sure. And, you know, so I've had the DVD, what, 15, what 13 or years. I must have seen it eight, nine, ten times. And like you, I watched mm-hmm. it twice in the run up to this. And even then, I still kind of spot little bits in it. Um, yeah. On rewatch, there's so much detail and so much going on and little background mm-hmm. stuff, you know, stuff happening in the background. And it's just little... Because sure. the character animation is, is really good and it's quite expressive. And yeah, it's so very much, fluid. It's very fluid, you know, and there's just lots going on everywhere within mm. when each shot, you know, and I still pick up on that. Definitely. I think that there's so many like um, there's so many anime we've seen over the years where the foreground is animated really well and, you know, they don't necessarily 
concentrate that much on stuff in the background. Um, you know, there might yeah. be like some sort of static scenes where there's the crowd that aren't really moving, or you yeah. know, they haven't really drawn something in particular depth because you focus on what's going on in the in the sort of uh, foreground and closer to what would be the camera. But in this, you know, it's like really alive. You know, yeah. there's just so much attention to detail in it. And in this film really needed that, you know, to bring the kind of manga to life because it's like the sort of universe that they've created for it, it, yeah. it would have been a real cry and shame if they hadn't yeah. done that. They've, they've done a really good job with that, you know. They've realised uh, Nagano's kind of like uh, art in kind of, you know, anime form really well. Yeah, yeah. With the music and stuff, you know, it does really have like a really... It has a, a real sense of grandeur about it. It does. In fact, the score is kind of reminiscent to me of like a lot of old Hollywood epics. Yeah, it Would is. Would you agree absolutely. with that? Like, kind yeah, of old I MGM completely agree with that, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't have a very traditional uh, anime score, certainly not something that was made at the time. No. I mean, there's a song on the end credits, but for the most part, the score does feel very much like some sort of old Hollywood historical epic. Yeah, it's kind of what um, you would hear from something like, I don't know, something like Ben-Hur or something. You know, well, that's it, exactly what I was going to say, actually. That's, that's strange enough, that was the one that sprang to my mind. Yeah. Because yeah. mm. quite interestingly, you have the way it sort of animates these um, sort of metropolises, but it also mm-hmm. feels, you know, when Ladius crashes in the desert, um, yeah. it has this kind of Wild West or, de- you know... Yes. Uh, so not necessarily Wild West, but, you know, these sort of desolate planet and there's you know these metropolises here and there because when clotho runs off into this sort of rundown town i mean that feels mm. quite yeah wild west you know she walks into does. the saloon you know and the sort of goons in there who try to sort of pick her yeah. up and that's right yeah because it reminds me a lot of some of the sci-fi kind of western stuff yeah uh, along the lines of you know like elements of things like uh trigon and outlaw star and stuff yeah. like that you know, there's there's little bits of that sort of almost steampunky kind of Wild West in there. But it's it feels like there's a very big divide among the different areas on the planets and, you know, like yeah. the different ruling classes and you can see which areas are kind of dodgy yeah. and poor and crime-ridden. And it's just um, really well sort of realised in that way. You could really analyse a lot yeah. to do with the setting. That's yeah, quite, yeah. It's quite fascinating. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, there's, there's so much detail. You know, it's such an... The whole world is really alive in it, you know. Mm, um, very much and, so, yeah. you know, the way it sort of presents the scale of all these ships and the scale of the mortarheads. You know, as the story then progresses, and we keep getting these flashbacks, and it keeps dropping all these subtle hints, you know, and it's quite... And it's one of those films you have to pay attention to because there is like, almost do. like a throwaway sentence... Um, that is really important really really important really yeah. really important yeah and it's, it's there's almost like yeah it's it is one it's like one of those films you get really frustrated where you want somebody to sit down and watch it and kind of really take it in and you yeah. talk to it and you're like, you can't do that during yeah, this film yeah you know it really <laughs> you is. really you need really, to listen really to this to, one you really have to pay attention to it there's almost um just little character interactions where they sort of barely say anything but that interaction mm. is actually really important. Quite meaningful. Yeah. It's, it's quite sort of like, it's a veiled thing that makes more sense to you, you know, later on. But yeah. without that kind of, uh, without that sort of benefit of being a reader of the manga, you wouldn't necessarily know what those yeah. characters' relationships are. It's it's very clever and subtly done. And I think it must have really like, uh, felt like a massive kind of like reward for fans, you know, who had yeah. been, been reading the manga and, you know, like, we're really into it when that movie came out. 
because one of those scenes that happens, um, you know, not to try and spoil too much, but there's a bit where Ladius is leaving Dr. Balanche's um, house and he walks past mm-hmm. Amoeterus and there's a little exchange and it's kind of a little bit of an odd exchange. Yeah, it is. You realise why it's a bit of an odd exchange later on, you know, and, it, and it's really, yeah. really subtle, really subtle. But And it's the sort of thing you might not necessarily pick up, pick on, up on if you're not... You know, if you, yeah. it's something you probably think about more in a second viewing. Yeah. Having that knowledge of having watched it once and review it, you do then you really pick up on these little things. And, and that's really where a lot of the beauty in this film lies, I think. Mm. You know, it's so, Definitely. you know, it's such a clever portrayal and in such an in-depth portrayal of this story um, mm-hmm. and the way these characters play out. Because within the, a short running time, you could have had very, very little character development. Yeah, it could have just been a sort of, you know, a kind of action in Megafest, yeah. but it's it's not, it's, you know, that's not Nagano's main focus. I mean, he does love designing yeah. um, things like that, and, you know, he's he's obviously put so much effort into that. Yeah. But it's more to do with the characters in the world that they inhabit. Yeah. Again, another good example, which we've discussed before, you know, on, on the show, of a Mega series that's not necessarily just for people who like Mega. Yeah, uh, completely. Yeah, completely agree with that. As we get towards, like, especially into the second half of the the film, and these all these flashbacks start to make more more sense. You know, mm-hmm. you start to understand a bit more about uh, Ladius's relationship with with the three Fatimas. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, with with his kind of daughters, you could yeah. say, because that's how he thinks of them. And um, you know, there's obviously this kind of, and there's quite a good scene where there's a, a rivalry between. Uh, Lachis, Clotho, and uh, Atropo. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of this, really, you start to realise is actually quite a love story. Yeah, absolutely, it is. You yeah. know, it's not quite evident, probably in the first half of the film, but in the second half of the film, you, you know, you realise, really, this is a love story between Ladios and Lachesis. Yeah, um, definitely, that is the sort of core story, really. Yeah. And, you know, like, uh, there's there's other sort of characters involved, you know, there's, there's kind of uh, loves of the past and yeah. things like that will turn up and you know, it is very much sort of focused on, on, uh, on the sort of uh, relationships of these characters. Yeah. And overall, I mean, it seems to be very much about destiny. Those five star stories overall, yes. really. Yeah. And the fact that people are destined to take these roles. I mean, Larios re- kind of resists his fate, doesn't he? Really. Yeah. Exactly. He kind of, uh, he's like a sort of, um, he's kind of unwilling to embrace it, even though he kind of knows he's eventually got to end up there. Yeah. I think in today's age. Um, when we talk about you know the use of AI and mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of been a lot of Hollywood stuff probably in the last ten years about at what point does a sentient AI stop being human you know and uh, you know there's yeah. been stories you know the, the Philip K. Dick stories sort of from the 60s but again it kind of it, it really builds on that you know and there's there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. about well, at what point does an android not be a human you know and, yeah. And, and it's it's been very much in the news, strangely enough, this week yeah. as we record this, because an Android actually, sorry, an Android, an AI, sorry, actually like uh, painted a picture, well, like yeah. created a piece of artwork of itself. Yeah. And it's fascinating when you look at it. It really is. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Check it out if you haven't already. It's uh, it's it's it really is a interesting uh, story. That yeah. Yeah, and then all these great minds, you know, had all this stuff, and and I, I really like the way Nagano's you know, this story in this film really portrays that and, and actually shows mm-hmm. how it's the eternal question, what makes human human, you know, so... Yeah, uh, 
exactly at what point can we can you separate uh, AI or a, or a sort of mechanical being from a living one? Yeah, and it, you know it goes into the, it sort of goes into the, the similar sort of you know kind of a, almost kind of like philosophical questions or something like Ghost in the Shell and about yes, the, the yeah. soul, the yeah. artificial soul versus the kind of uh, you know the natural. The I guess. And then mm-hmm. when we get to like the last kind of quarter of the film, I and mean, that's when we actually get into the mecha bit, the mecha mm-hmm. action. And I mean, really, it's only about three minutes, four minutes of yeah, mecha action. If, if that, I mean, like you do see um, motorheads throughout the story. There's a scene where um, Juba's kind of like uh, nephews, yeah, uh, you know, sort of arrive and they kind of try to challenge, um, they yeah. challenge Colos to a, a duel for entertainment of the people. Yeah. You know, not a kind of lethal one, but. a a kind of one for showmanship, almost like a knight's joust. Yeah. To kind of entertain the court, if you like, and uh, and he refuses. But uh, so we only really get that kind of uh, big action scene at the end. Yeah. But it is uh, worth waiting for. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because uh, you get the the knight of gold appear. Uh, you know, and he has that sort of one face off. He destroys one the nephews more heads, mm-hmm. and then sort of does the other one, and then faces off against Juba's uh, hell mine. And that's quite interesting because that's where you see what uh, the original. It's got a very, very strange name, which I'm really not going to pronounce. Um, <laughs> uh, begins with E. It's a very, very odd name, but you kind of see a Fatima that isn't a humanoid Fatima. Yeah, it's just you this... referred to them earlier on, didn't we? The ones that are purely a computer that haven't yeah. been, you know, engineered to be like a, a humanoid android. Yeah, and uh, they're, they're sold... simply a guidance system, sort of like in the motorhead. Yeah. But I think it's quite interesting how they portray that as like a sort of lizardy type, isn't it? And uh, and Gladios remarks that you know it's he kind of sort of wishes that they'd been they'd always kind of stayed in that sort of form yes, because they yeah. wouldn't be able to be manipulated and kind yes. of you know used by people like Juba. Yeah. And he wants to create one that basically doesn't need a farmer, doesn't he? Yes, that's, that's right. Kind yeah. of like wish. We should we should rewind a little bit though and mention also about the Knight of Gold is that. Um, Ladios' uh, Mega the Knight of Gold, the Moorhead that appears at the end, there is a sequence where you see uh, a flashback to uh, Lachesis as a child. Yeah. And she makes like a kind of childish request. Yeah. To, to like say, oh, I want to be your master one day and I want to marry you and I want to, I want you to have, I want you to create a Moorhead just for me. Yeah. That's made entirely of gold. And he's kind of like a bit taken back by it. He's kind of like almost like, you know, sort of just satisfying the whims of a child. He's like, okay, then, yeah. Yeah. And we'll get married in front of it, okay? Like That's right, promising. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he makes this kind of promise to her, which seems like a quite childish promise. But then at the end of the movie, the Knight of Gold, which is made out of solid gold, emerges yeah. from the earth and kind of like it messes up all of Juba's men. And we see that he has fulfilled his promise. Yeah. And I think that scene's really good as well, because when they get the, the Buster Cannon, out um which again which is another spin-off from elgheim because you know especially with the elgheim mark ii um which has the buster cannon or the buster launcher you know you can you can see where he's he's taking those ideas and that exactly that evolution from elgheim to the five star stories but Mm -hmm. at that point when she's taught um latchesis is targeting the computer that's where you really see her in uh acting as a computer Mm. you know you kind of i guess it's really when you see a farmer fulfilling the true role true. for the first time yeah. so we we see a brief little bit of i suppose at the beginning kind of giving you a bit of background but it's not yeah. really explicitly sort of shown no exactly and you see that and then you see just how devastatingly powerful 
a Mortarhead mm. is. You know, this this single yeah. Mortarhead, it just very quickly is obliterated know, things. Obliterated things. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only word for it, really. <laughs> and then after that, it kind of then closes out the rest of the story, and then a lot of things. It then starts to piece together, um, and we won't spoil too much of it, but it then mm. starts to piece together the sort of destiny or, and some of the true identities of these characters. Yeah. And actually, sti- and I think does a really good job of actually stitching up quite mm. a lot of the threads that have been running through the rest yeah. of the film. It does, especially for its short running time. I mean, I've seen uh, over years in movies that uh, have had a much lengthier running time that's that actually completely drop the ball in that uh, regard and really just, you know, don't leave you with a satisfying story or one that could be a lot better. And it's, it's, it's impressive that they managed to, to fit all that in quite well. Yeah. I remember when I very first watched it, I remember getting through it thinking there seemed to be dropping so much. I, I remember like kind of being a little bit lost towards it and then it mm-hmm. kind of, and then it stitched everything up and I was a bit like, oh, actually that's done a really good job of, I actually understood where the stories got to, you know. Refresh um, me memory. Did you say that you'd actually um, the anime was your introduction to it, or did you, had you read some of the manga first? No, so I actually had watched the anime before I read the the manga. Right. So, so... I only knew what I knew about it either via what um, ADV had posted about it, really, uh-huh. in the build up to the release on DVD, and what uh-huh. I'd read on. Um, there was a particular forum that I used to. Uh-huh used back in the early 2000s and it was only yeah. really what i'd understood from there and again it's kind of snippets and and one of the things i understood and i've, I've mentioned this before but a lot of stuff on that forum I, I i would later learn actually was a load of people talking a load of crap who <laughs> had yeah. either never seen it or had seen bits common, of it common or, problem in those days wasn't yeah, it, it was, so um there's a lot of like uh, rubbish about idiot floating about before it became available on fansub as well yeah yeah, but yeah. So so in that case, then you had the uh, the experience of watching it kind of, I guess, raw, if you like. Yeah. Uh, not not raw as in in Japanese, but raw as in you haven't yeah, got any. Yeah, I didn't experience. know very very background about it, and I did find mm-hmm. that first viewing quite confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, by the end, I was a bit like, okay, and and that's where I again I watched it again quite quickly afterwards, and then it made it started to make a lot more <laughs> sense. So. Uh, but it does. It does tie up. It's a it's a it's a contained story because ultimately, you know, this is the start of something bigger, a much bigger saga, sort yeah, of saga. But it leaves it on a point where it's saying it's the start of a saga, but that's fine, you know. Yeah. And it's a conclusion. It's, it's a, a good complete, self-contained, yeah, self-complete story arc, really. Yeah. And it's but it is also you know if a good jumping-off point for the rest of the story. Yeah. In the in the sort of a frame of of its uh, of its manga, so it's it's really good in that regard that you can watch it as a standalone. Yeah. But it's also good to whet, whet your appetite if you wanted to jump into the bigger five star stories, um, and you know immerse yourself in the kind of source material. Yeah, definitely. You know, as we talk a little bit about the characters, so sure. I think you know our first introduction, we you know we get the Fatima, Doctor Blanche, Ladia Sop, and Vulard. So. Dr. Blanche, I think he's this, you know, we see that he's dying, you know, and I think mm. we don't see and much there's not much discussion it. about why, is there? Yeah. That's one thing that the uh, you don't really get is you don't really get any kind of exploration as to whether he's ill or he's, yeah. you know, older than he appears or something, because obviously being sci-fi, we don't know how old he is. It's 
because it seems like some of the characters uh, live quite long lives. You know, we see, and he kind of seems to be this sort of fatherly character, and and you kind mm. of get a sense of sorrow with almost like he's created, you know, um, the what's his name? Uh, often, yeah. What's his name? Offenheimer. You know, when he talks about when yeah. he created the nuclear bomb, then he was very remorseful about what he'd done. And you, I kind of get yeah. that little bit of that feeling with Valanche. He's Definitely. created these masterpieces, but he's kind of he sad. Really, yeah, he really kind of... He sort of evolved something that was intended for a, a different purpose into being his daughters. Yeah. And then he probably quite regretted that because he became so attached to them that he yeah. didn't want to lose them. Yeah. And unfortunately, he's lost some of them to, like, some sort of dodgy slaver person. Exactly. Who's going to yeah. use them for really, like, horrendous purposes. Yeah. So he's kind of, you know, he mentions Atropos being uh, taken away from him and what Juba's reputation for being a sort of sleazebag is. Yeah. And how he's kind of, you know, he doesn't want that to happen to Lachesis. So we get a real, we do get a sense of that he is very regretful of the fact that, you know, this is how things have ended up. Yeah. I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see if there's more exploration later in the five star stories as to how that how he did come towards turning yeah. them into like into humanoid girls and because why. Like I say, he's, he seems a very sort of remorseful, and and then we get Ladius, who's this sort of very sprightly, sort of very upbeat, very feminine looking, <laughs> very effeminate yeah. young man. Um, but he's obviously there's quite a few bits when he's looking at uh, Viewlard's. Uh, more ahead and when he's mm-hmm. looking at Hellmine, you know there's a few sentences he's obviously he's obviously a real um knowledgeable yeah sort of expert he's on got quite a reputation hasn't he yeah in fact when um Bullard meets him for the first time and he finds out his name later on he says uh, something along the lines of i didn't realize you were that laddie sop yeah yeah uh, you know i didn't realize you were the the sort of famed engineer laddie sop um, yeah it's uh, you, you're quite well known around here, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know. So he has got this reputation of being a really skilled engineer and designer, yeah. and also like a combatant, if I'm, yes, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, as well. But he's quite a philosophical character, you know, and he, mm. and he's quite interesting because on some aspects he comes across as being quite a soft character, but then he yeah. keeps getting this kind of steely edge. He's quite emotional. Um, That's right. But when he needs to, he you know he sort of mans up a bit. Absolutely, and there's a, there's a bit where um, we see this kind of uh, figure from his past kind of like berating him for having no feelings and yeah, for being quite yeah. feeling cold. And that's the thing is he does almost have a bit of a duality to his character. Sometimes yeah. he could seem over kind of, uh, you know, sort of like very invested in people and very emotional, and other times he can seem a bit cold and distant. Yeah. And, and very, But also, like, you know, like you say, when he needs to sort of like step up and kind of take some action and... You know, yeah. like uh, look out for people. He can he can really do that, even though he might not necessarily appear to be that way at first. Yeah. Then we've got Bulard Vords, uh, a headliner. <laughs> you know, who's who's your? You know, there has to be the rogue, doesn't there? Yeah. You know, he's um, yeah. He's the kind of lovable rogue sort of character, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With a disturbing uh... pension for pretty boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, again, he he's he's not who he appears to be, but you know, he is this kind of real roguish um, yeah. character, isn't he? You know, if any character was to be the comic relief, it would be uh, him. It's the humour comes mainly uh, from the relationship between the two of them and the fact yeah. that he's quite Nazi. Yeah, because <laughs> he is he is a bit of the um, the Roy Fokker of um, yeah, 
of it's funny i was the... thinking that yeah absolutely i was thinking that especially having come off the back of macross and all yeah that exactly as if you know with with macross being so sort of fresh in my uh memory mm-hmm. it was like i watched this again and thought you know because he's blonde you know he's got the uh-huh. kind of jawline and everything isn't he you know so it's kind um, of classically sort of yeah, handsome sort yeah, of fellow sort i suppose fellow. yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so I, I immediately thought of, of roy Focco, um you know and, and also a pilot as well and you know, pilot, yeah stuff. yeah you know a ladies man quite apparently <laughs> as well because um you know he's looking up those uh waitresses in the yeah. In a sort of Egyptian-like sort yes, of outfit. Right, yeah. You know, he's kind of, you see him eyeing them up. And... and The first time we saw Roy in Macross was when he was checking out Minmir's legs. That's right, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although we did we did see, yeah, uh, we did see Violard before that, but just talking about Roy's introduction, not Violard's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, the, he is very much that kind of man's man character, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, or in yeah. some cases, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> whatever takes his fancy when the yes. beer goggles are on yeah <laughs> it was quite funny i um i actually didn't notice this until um i watched it the first time for uh for this review is that the the whatever alcohol he's drinking is called psycho yes a... <laughs> <laughs> i noticed that as well <laughs> there's quite a few um there's quite a few like sort of funny uh signs in this in this yeah. film <laughs> that's what i mean there's some real detail in it i mean and sort of going off topic a little bit but while we're talking about that um Shar actually appears in i didn't notice that has he got a, he's in the background or something yeah there's a you know when laches has been debuted and debuted and there's, there's a pan across all the headliners and stuff and there, oh, is, right. there is a blonde bloke who looks <laughs> like a sort of middle-aged Shah. he's got like Shah's <laughs> hair but he looks like Shah, but he's got a red uniform I'll on. Him, yeah. And on the um, lapel is the Xeon fighter pilot um, logo. Crest. <laughs> Crest, yeah. You know, know the, the, Z- the Xeon pilot wings is uh-huh. on his lapel. And, I, and um, again, I didn't spot that until I watched it again. And it just right. went through. And I had to double take. And I had to go back. And I thought, is that Shah? Um, <laughs> I went back. Just a little kind of little sort of in joke yeah there. you know and uh yeah because you know he was involved in in zeta gundam um before, yeah you know and that happened before he wrote the fight or started mm-hmm. writing the five star stories so uh um <laughs> you know so uh yeah i thought that you know there's lots of great little nods in this this there is yeah like it's, there's there's lots of like little sort of humorous uh kind of like touches in it, i guess but um going back to characters for a second the um trying to think who else we've so, so Juba, Juba, as we mentioned, he's kind of yeah. this sort of grotesque, you know, sleazy he's, lord. Sleazy lord, lord of know, he's kind of got into, he's in, got into power, you know, it's probably a handed down power or something, mm. you know, it's probably not really an earned title or whatever. Yeah, and he, and he kind of wormed his way in. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and quite typical of some of those characters, probably is very nasty, will do whatever he wants to maintain power and... Mm-hmm. you know and is used to getting yeah. what he wants but it's quite interesting that um you know that, that scene where he, he gets drunk and he's obviously been refused by the fatimas by clotho and yeah Lachesis. several times and he, he goes you know and he gets that kind of like right i'm i'm gonna have her sort of thing mm-hmm. and then kind of has a heart attack or whatever and you know and she's, yeah. she's saved but he has some sort of medical problem doesn't he yeah. and he's kind of clutching his chest and and uh, yeah, she gets a kind of like a, a reprieve, sort of re- she? reprieve from him, and 
and she's sort of, you know, she's just sort of deriding them and saying she won't have anything to do with them. And luckily, shortly afterwards, um, Sop kind of, and uh, Viewlad sort of intervened on them or called us. But yeah, it's, he is like um, a totally reprehensible character. Yeah. No, you can't identify him within any way. He's just a horrible, nasty piece of work. His character, though, if you know, if there's anything, because we haven't really sort of criticised. If, if there's one, you know, start things is that he feels like a very typical, oh yeah, sleazy lord character. That's kind of, mm. it's not a particularly original. Sort of no, I guess not. I mean, I, you know, I guess it it sort of works in the context. It works, of the, yeah, it completely the, works in the context, but you know, because of the fact it's so sort of centered on the on the uh, Fatima's being taken advantage of. Yeah, but I know what you mean. It is he is very typical yeah. of uh, of those sorts of characters in yeah. power. Yeah, definitely very much so. And then we have King Kolos the Third, you know, and he seems like your typical sort of nobility, mm. gallant knight type. Gallant, kind of handsome, sort yeah. of flowing hair kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and he's uh, and he kind of comes in at um, an interesting point of the story. You know, you get you get a good sense of who he is despite him being introduced. You know, like yeah. a good like sort of halfway through something like that. Was it half? I'm just trying to think. Yeah, of the actual, it's about so, yeah, it's about it's about a third of the way through, isn't it? When Claude yeah. runs off. So, uh, but you get just enough introduction to yeah. a lot of the characters who pop up quite suddenly. You know, there's you get just enough background and yeah. sort of a sense of who they are. And again, going back to what you were saying about the fact that some of that stuff is quite subtle but well handled. Yeah. Uh, you know, the character relationships and the fact that, you know, it's it feels like a very lived-in universe where there's all these kind of larger-than-life figures and everyone knows who they are, yeah. even if they haven't necessarily met them before. So, yeah, it's it, it does do that uh, that really well. And then we have Amaterus and the uh, Mirage Knights. Yeah. The Mirage Knights, one thing I always say, when, typically when they're on screen, there's lots of blood. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's a there's a scene where, um, I can't remember the female character's name, but she has this kind of scythe, yeah. this gigantic scythe, and she just lops all of these uh, enemy heads off in a row. Yeah. With this, and, and as she kind of like carves this sort of big swath through them, and yeah. she simultaneously chops off all the heads, and yeah. you just have all the heads flying um, off like at the same time. And with that bit, you know, <laughs> and it goes back to Colos, King Colos the Third's introduction. You know, actually, this film is surprisingly violent mm. at times yeah. as well. You know, it doesn't start off that way, but when it gets into it, um, yeah. you know, there is quite a lot of uh, there is quite a lot of violence. I mean, the kind of the, the one that seems to be the head of the kind of. Uh, Mirage Knights on the cyborg guy who's yeah. quite sort of vicious. Yeah. And he has a very mechanical sounding voice that has a kind of echo effect on it. Yeah. Yeah. He really messes some people up. Like, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, it's, you know, when they're in, on screen, you know, things do get very, very violent. You know, the heads rolling across the floor and. Yeah. People are know, eviscerated and. Yeah. You know, kind of chopped diagonally in half and like straight down the middle and. Yeah. You know, you know there's some quite. Being sinister. dismembered and. Yeah, yeah, some quite sinister sort of bits, mm. you know, tone to them, um, which is which is quite good. Yeah, they definitely come off as a really kind of ominous threat as soon as they're on screen. Yeah. Even before they even strike anyone down, you know, just yeah. the way they look and his sort of voice and his kind of like very creepy looking mechanical eye and everything yeah. is an imposing character. You know, you get this thing that, this is one line that says, you know, their word is law sort of thing, you know, what they mm. say goes, it's quite... And you see people yeah. cower in front of them. So, you know, it, it very quickly and sort of cleverly builds this real sort of mystical lore about, you know, just yeah. how powerful the Mirage Knights are and be. how scary they can be. Yeah. 
and it's and it's sort of uh, you know as soon as they appear, you you do get the sense that much they kind of remind me a little bit of uh, the uh, judges in Judge Dredd, you know, the yeah. judge, jury, and executioner. Yes, yeah, they yeah. can kind of you know they can decide on somebody's sentence and then carry it out immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Without the need for any kind of lengthy trial and save yeah. the taxpayers some money. <laughs> but um Yeah, you, you do get a sense of just how feared they are when um you know the the block off this place where the guards are trying to advance and they basically tell them don't go any further, otherwise we're gonna yeah. we're gonna sort of meet your resistance with violence and the, yeah. the people just shit themselves. <laughs> yeah. The people just really, really crap themselves like yeah. right, okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> we'll stand fine. down yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that without kind of spoiling too much what happens, I think it's probably can't say too much more about the characters without kind of giving some key. Yeah, sort of stuff we've already out. mentioned that they have they have an yeah. identity that yeah. isn't who they really are. We won't touch too much on that and spoil that and leave that for you to discover for yourself. So having a look at a bit of the production values of Five Star Stories mm-hmm. Anime, I mean, it's worth pointing out that what we've reviewed, you know, we've watched um, a Blu-ray version of this for, for this review. <laughs> You know, and it's one of those things, uh, much like what we said about the Macross Do You Remember Love movie, is that, you know, it was made for Blu-ray because it is mm. absolutely gorgeous, this film. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it has uh, so much detail. Yeah. Um, in it, uh, I mean, the, like from the very from one of the very first scenes, yeah. um, not long after you get a bit of background about the Joker Galaxy and you see uh, Amaraths and everything like that, yeah. um, you see uh, Sop kind of plunging to Earth in seemingly crashing and you see his kind of viewpoint. Yeah. The the POV. Yeah. Is, the motion in it is just so beautifully done. Yeah. A couple of episodes ago when we're talking about Galleon, I mentioned the bit where the guards are rushing the siege tower and you see that point of view shot. Yeah. And it's a similar point of view shot in um in Ryan B and the dashboard sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not it, it's so fluid and amazing. It looks great. It's it always I always find that really stunning when they can do make that motion seem so natural. Yeah, yeah. It it really does seem like, you know, almost like they've got some footage of a crashing ship or a helicopter or something and then drew yeah. over it. It's uh, it's fantastic. Really quite quite stunning. The detail in absolutely everything um, mm. is incredible. And, and like a Blu-ray, and I wonder if I only spotted the Shah character because of the, you could clearly see the, the wings, the Xeon wings on his uniform because it's, it's really, possibly. really clear, you know. You know, it's one of those no expense spared productions. Productions isn't it? where you know, they must have just been throwing money at the uh, studio, yeah, and yeah, cause, knock yourself out. Because <laughs> there was nothing; they haven't scrimped on anything in this. In mm. the sixty-eight minutes of this film, at no point from, from start to finish have they scrimped. You know, Very crowds so. move. You know, there's detail everywhere. The, the, the motion is seamlessly fluid. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. You know they have not scrimped at all, and it is even if you just if you didn't like it. I mean, it's worth watching just to save your how, how oh, yeah. good it completely. Good it looks, I mean, really, you know the the bit where the uh, Knight of Gold emerges from the rocks oh, and you yeah. see all the individual rocks smashed yeah. apart, thrown yeah. in the air. And the soldiers on some of the rocks kind of screaming ah, as they fly yeah. through the air and stuff. Yeah. And it's just and as it emerges, it just like that. That whole thing is so well realized. It's brilliant. All the little insignias on everything as well, you know, mm. um, you know the little sort of nameplate on the front of the Knight of Gold, uh, the mm-hmm. Mirage Knights, all the little detail on their uniforms and stuff. You know, it's just, it's fantastic. There's, you know, there's depth, there's shadow, you know, yeah. there's there's minute detail in in absolutely everything, and especially you know that's beginning scene where we see Lachesis emerge from the capsule. 
with all mm-hmm. the steam and all the detail mm. on her body and stuff. You know, yeah, she has all these kind of markings all over it, doesn't she? And yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's everything about it. Just um, it's so well, just so so much noticeable detail throughout it. Really, uh, like there's a lot of sort of manga like kind of shading and lines on people's faces quite yeah, often. Yeah, you know that you would oft, often get uh, in Japanese comics. You know, there's there's a lot of shading and and sort of uh, shadows and things and. Stuff that you don't necessarily always see in anime. Yeah, and I think you know, like Juba's face, that is very lined. You know, it really, it really gets the kind of bloated grotesqueness of him. You know, there's loads mm. of detail in how. Yeah. His like yeah. gums and teeth are very kind of like prevalent a lot of the time when he's talking and stuff, and it's just it just does have a lot of those details that sometimes they maybe would either overlook or pops wouldn't feel it was necessary it is absolutely gorgeous there is there is no it's at one of those mm. 80s highlights of you know if you if you look at um the wings of only army sakira do you remember love mm. all the the big sort of theatrical sort yeah. of features yeah from the 80s this is this is right up there certainly right up is there with it yeah it's and it's just um it's a shame that like uh it probably isn't uh anywhere near as well known as a lot of those other ones i mean no no. It's I mean it it seems to just have a kind of fervent cult following, if you yeah. like. Um there's a lot I do see a lot of things uh, posted on Twitter about people in the in the mega and things about it and about Nagano's uh, designs in general. Yeah. But it does seem to have that, you know, small but, but cult following. Yeah. You know, we've talked about the music, you know, it really helps with this grand scale, you know, that mm. the whole film as we said before, has this sense of grandeur and scale to it, and you know, is mm-hmm. is is a small, yeah. And I, I don't want to say it does feel like it portrays it's a small part of a much bigger thing, really, yeah. really well. It kind does of, without getting lost because it's not portraying the bigger thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that does really well. We've sort of waxed lyrical about how great it was. Um, in terms of criticism, I I don't have much criticism of it really. I'm, if anything, I would say you know the first fifteen minutes. I think is a little bit. There's a lot happens, and I yeah, think it might be jarring for some. I think it's be. possibly a little bit of a muddled start at times, but mm. I don't think the pacing's bad. I just think no. it throws a lot at you very quickly, which it does. Yeah, um, I think which I had it. a different. You know, obviously, I had a different experience coming from the manga because I kind of knew somewhat yeah. to expect. But if you're watching yeah. it cold, yeah, um, you know, it, you'll probably find that at first you're kind of having to, yeah, you know, sort of really pay attention to what's yeah, going on. I guess. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing, because a lot, an awful lot happens within, within it. It's, it's not a film I think you can watch once and come away really understanding it. It's, mm. and in some ways, and that's a good thing because of the, the amount of depth that's in it, and it's a really clever yeah. bit of, you know, the way it's animated and the way it's written. But it also means it's also not just a watch once and you can walk away from it thing. Yeah, as well, exactly. So. I mean, it lends itself to multiple rewatches simply because they're what we've mentioned yeah. about the characters' identities, once you know who these people are at the end, yeah. you can then watch it with fresh eyes and say, ah, oh, right, yeah. so when they said this and that happened, that was an allusion to this. Yeah, so you have to invest yourself in this film. Mm. Yeah, You certainly do, yeah. It's not a, you know... Not a turn-your-brain-off sort of movie that you No, can... no, exactly. Yeah. You know, so there's that. Um, the only other thing, a little bit goes back to the characters. The one thing I do find is that there's a lot of really sort of soppy smiling throughout mm. this film as well yeah. do you know what I mean oh yeah Lad- especially Ladius the flashbacks and... with the yeah with, um, Atropos uh, Lachesis and um, and Clotho and, yeah. uh, and Clotho like uh, as young girls and yeah 
Yeah, it is, even, it is quite sloppy in that way. <laughs> you know, and even with King Kolos as well, you know, there's just they they have this big. You get the screen full of this sort of big, you know, the eyes sort of squint a bit, and they're just yeah. just this big beaming soppy smile, which is which is <laughs> lovely because there is a sort of lovely sort of atmosphere between the characters. And, you know, it's a very sort of yeah. classical feel to it, um, mm-hmm. but it just well, sometimes it's overused. just. It's just yeah, sometimes a little bit overused. That it just I feels a little mean, bit yeah. sort of soppy, you know. They're minor gripes, yeah. but oh yeah, I mean it's a uh, gripes nonetheless. It is what it is. It's, I think it, because it yeah. kind of borrows from that sort of tradition of like grand fantasy and yeah, you know that sort of thing. It's kind of maybe a bit of a byproduct of that possibly. Mm. But I do see your point. Yeah, it is. It, it can be a little bit kind of overused. So to sort of wrap up the review, I mean I give this a nine out of ten. I think you know, mm. as a as a Mecha fan, uh, but just as a fan of a good story, complete story, mm. you know, I I think yeah. it's a really really good self-contained seventy minutes of anime. Yeah, it's, it really does uh, sort of tick all the boxes for me. I think it's well paced. It's you know, it's beautiful looking. It's very sort of subtle with some elements of its storytelling, but you know, there's more greater kind of um, praise, I guess, than something having a lot of rewatch value. Yeah, uh, and that's this definitely like fits that bill because you know it it really lends itself well to that, and you kind of need to to fully appreciate everything in it and just everything that it's doing as a yeah. story. So I would have to agree. I'm um, a nine out of ten for me. Some minor flaws, but nothing that really takes away from it. Yeah, it's a it's a very good adaptation of the source material as well, which we'll we'll get to when we talk about the manga a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good self-contained, and, and any mecha fan should really go and see this definitely. Yeah, check it out. Absolutely. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So now we've completed our reviews of the manga and the anime, we'll have a look at how the anime adapts the manga and the differences between the two. So I think the anime essentially does the manga. So from what we talked about, the prologue, through to the end of the Mortarhead battle with Juba, I think it essentially just does a very good job of adapting that bit of the, the manga, doesn't it? It certainly does, yeah. And I think then one of the key differences, I think, between the two... Because it took me a few watches to twig this, um, was that essentially they were only going to make the one anime because the mm. anime essentially wraps up the story, whereas the the manga then sets sure. itself up. I didn't quite appreciate that because I think I watched it the first time and thought, oh, I wish they'd made more. But watching it mm. again, it's like, oh, actually, they've just wrapped the, you know, I watched the film before I read the manga, so I didn't appreciate how the yeah. the manga ended. Um, and then once I'd done that, I appreciated that, yeah, actually, they're only going to make the one thing so uh yeah and like you said earlier i mean because they chose just to adapt this self-contained story it does kind of work you know like the fact that 
it sort of gives you this kind of prologue in the wider context and then this self-contained story about Sop. It, it does work quite well for that for that reason. And I think, you know, something you said earlier when we were talking about it, um, I think, you know, fans of the manga would be, you know, pretty happy with this as an adaptation of it in in a, yeah. you know, a video film mm-hmm. format. Certainly. I mean, when uh, people um, saw this initially, like fans, I think they must have felt like it was quite a gift to them you know it was it was uh it must have been uh, pretty impressive to see it kind of put into a kind of digestible format yeah. i guess you would say and you know and it, and it as we said it just worked and it being good overall yeah exactly exactly um i think really the the anime it takes all the good bits you know i think it recreates the tone really well it essentially recreates that mm-hmm. love story so all those sort of key bits, you know, the grotesqueness of Juba, um, you know, the femininity mm. of Ladios and, and everything, you know, all those yeah. things that were kind of really key elements of the manga are, are really well recreated. Yeah, the everything's represented yeah. in this. I mean, it really is. You've got every kind of key yes. aspect in one, in one movie and it, it does a sort of really good job of what could have been a bit of a mess of an adaptation. Yeah. I mean, let's be fair... There would have been so many things that could have easily went wrong with this, to, yeah. be, to be honest. But they did uh, manage to, to tell a quite tidy story and sum everything up nicely in the uh, in the 70 minutes yeah. time. And I think by being really faithful to the manga and then making the decision that, mm-hmm. well, they were just going to make this one anime adaptation of it, you know, and we're not going to keep going yeah. on. And I think it was a good decision because, you know, animation styles change over time. If you look at where this was... Mm. Um, animated and then how animation changed animation style changed through the early to mid 90s and you know if they'd made sure. if they made a second one it probably had been 92 93 and you'd have it would have looked different, quite yeah. different to this really wouldn't it and it probably would have been a yeah. bit jarring but i mean um the fact that the they got rid of the sort of prologue yeah. stuff from the manga yes. was a good decision yeah. really because you don't really need that wider no. context if you're not going to go on to read no. the rest of the story and all right in this case if because they weren't going to adapt yeah. more of it. And I think, you know, with the manga, it's easy to, as you, as an artist, it's easy to keep your style. So visually, you know, and if you, if you read the rest of the books, you know, it maintains a, you know, its visual look or its art style throughout. So, yeah, I think that was, mm-hmm. that was a, that was a really good call. And, and by just being a faithful adaptation of it and then rejigging the end to close out the story, as you say, within the 70 minutes. Soft story, um, yeah. You know, I think, it's it's a great adaptation and and all the beats like i say you know juba's grotesqueness his you know his sleaziness mm. and the sleaziness of his yeah um, his nephews and everything you know it's captured really well and the, the manga has sure and i think as a screenplay for a, an anime um you know there's i think in the mm. manga there's only about one or two of those flashbacks where with ladios with um yeah Balanche and yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and I, they use a bit more of that, but I think that works well with more of the setting up the story. Yeah, it does in the context yeah. of the film. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few little bits like that, but I think one of the things that's adapted well, um, and we talked about this in in both reviews, is that you know there's a lot of stuff that's done by look. There's yeah context behind looks and actions without any any words uh, yeah. uh, being spoken. Absolutely. Yeah, there really is, and you know, there's. I, I imagine if you speak Japanese, there's probably a bit of sort yeah. of subtlety in the way they say things, with an emphasis on yes. certain yeah. things, Absolutely. you know, to to give the audience a bit yeah. of an idea. 
that there's something more to that than yeah. the first meet the and eye. You know, I think it's, and I think that's probably something easier to do with a visual style because you know it's all subtle mm. um, movements of eyes and mouths and body language. Yeah. Um, but you know it is there in in the manga and it and it recreates it really well. So yeah. it, I think you know the whole tone, the comedic bits that are in the manga are well created mm. in the anime. Very much so. I think that um, the film is actually yes. funnier because of the fact that, you know, obviously it has voice yeah. acting. The scene where um, <laughs> where uh, Bulard comes on to sop is yeah. really hilarious in the film, actually. It really, like, had me laugh out loud. Uh, whereas it was kind of mildly amusing yeah. in, the, uh, in the manga. But it, it, <laughs> it did do a good job of that bit because it's kind of a bit more over the yeah, top in the film is, as well, yeah. isn't it? Like, what happens? Um, but, yeah, it's, they could have really made a a sort of uh, right mess up of this as of this film there's so much yeah. right with it it makes you appreciate everything that they, they did uh, correctly yeah um so i think you know as a, a it's, it's a good adaptation um it captures everything mm. really well you know it's you know the battle and i think you know the destructive power of the buster launcher you know is and those things are re, really, well really well portrayed, portrayed yeah. you know in the way um the, the knight of gold is portrayed and you see it rising from the ground you know, I think animation has the benefit of actually sort of you you get the bring, bring it to life, to life. You? you you get the whole scene rather than broken mm. up in panels. Um, Sorry, I was just going to say that. Um, and let's be fair, it's it's a difficult source material to yeah. adapt. I would say. I mean, I think that I certainly wouldn't have wanted to write pen a script of an adaptation yeah. of this because it's so dense with so much information, as we've said a few times in this review. That I think it must have been difficult to actually get the screenplay yeah. right. And I think it was probably right that, you know, Nagano didn't direct it. You know, he was a, he was the um, creative influence and force, force and, you know, sort of had probably had the final say on a lot of it. But having other people mm. do it probably helped in that as well. Yeah, may have worked, maybe in, worked in his favour. Someone, because, you know, Nagano, he was, he's a designer, he was an artist, but he wasn't an animator and he wasn't a, yeah. a screenwriter as such. So I think having, you know, when he worked mm -hmm. with Elgheim, you know, Tamino was the, the creative writer as such and, and sure. wrote the story and directed it. So he put the animation together, but it was mm -hmm. just Nagano's look, you know, um, and, and, you know. He, yeah, I see where so, you come from with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many films have we seen that have been directed by like a sort of uh, music video director that have, had an absolutely, and they've, they've yeah. had some hand in the writing and storyboard and things, and it's just, it looked beautiful, but their story's been absolutely incomprehensible, and it's been yeah, like sort yeah. of garbage. <laughs> so I think from that side, I think doing that, I think was the right decision, and I think it's it's worked out really well. Um, I mean, one of the other things, it's, uh, so essentially the, the anime looks like the um, the manga, but there are some slight differences, because I did read that um, the character mm. designer, um, Nobuturo Yuki um, he wanted to redesign Nagano's characters um, and he wanted right. to make everything bigger apparently so bigger eyes okay. bigger hair bigger shoulder pads which I think is is apparent there is that slight difference in mm. look um, apparently he wanted to have yeah. bigger chests as well um, <laughs> so uh, but that never made it um, I, yeah I got that off um, the um, Zip's uh, Twitter feed, you know, where we talked about, yeah, he, he had oh, a right. thing in there yeah. about a month ago or something. Um, I remember just spotting that. So, uh, yeah, which I think actually 
I'd never tweak, you know, because there is a slight different look, but the eyes are really big in the in the anime. Yeah, very much so. so yeah, um, and there, like you say, there there are some sort of subtle differences, and it's uh, it's interesting you bring that up because you you can see that um, you know there has been a bit yeah. of tweaking there, but obviously not as much as the guy wanted to because it sounds like he kind of wanted to go a bit yeah, overboard. Yeah. With it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a few other little. You know, as we said, it's a good adaptation, and I think there's a few little things that are a bit different between the two. When we talked about the um, anime, we talked about that scene where mm-hmm. um, Clotho runs off, and where we meet King Kodos, yeah. and we said that there was a very Wild West mm-hmm. feel to it. You know, a sort of yeah. old Western mm-hmm. feel to it. Um, I don't quite get that from the manga as much. Yeah, um, right. and I and I think whether that's because it's in black and white or the way the scenes are set, and again, I think that's where animation you can paint a bigger mm. continuous picture. And yeah, absolutely, you can paint a much more vivid yeah. picture, can't you? And just have a lot more atmosphere yeah. in it, I guess, in some ways. Well, should I say there's a different atmosphere in the printed page and like yeah. still images to what there is in animation, rather? Well, because in some instances, one's not necessarily better than the other. I mean, I've seen some really terrible manga adaptations where the uh, the art style just yeah. wasn't right for an anime adaptation. But yeah, the the two mediums give you both a very yeah. different feel. But you, you're absolutely right, you know, you can paint a very yeah. different sort of picture in in, uh, in animation to what you can in um Yeah, in and comics. the whole, you know, the bit where Ladius um, crashes at the beginning of the film, um, and again, that more desolate sort of planet feel... You know, with with yeah. let's say the color, you know, a bigger frame of mm-hmm. the widescreen um, video and stuff. That's right, and the yes. POV as well, because that's not something you can do in manga yeah. with motion. I mean, obviously, you see a kind of POV of him sort of plunging yes. into the earth, almost like a yeah. sort of crash. Obviously, later on we realize it's not quite that, but it's that is really fantastically yeah. done. So that's not the sort of thing you could even even really. Attempting yeah. manga, really. So I think there's those those things where it uses the medium really well to p- portray that mm. world and kind of make it its yeah. own thing, I guess. And and as any film adaptation of a book, you know, the book always has loads more detail in it, which you can't really mm. show in a screen, you know, because otherwise yeah. it gets too, <laughs> can't really get past that. you know, because it gets too dense, too long, too boring, trying mm. to over-explain stuff. So. And I think the differences between where you get some of that sort of fine detail is recreated because, as we said, the animation is very, very high quality. So you get some of that, but there are mm-hmm. little, there are further bits. You know, that scene we talked about in the manga where um, Juba is touching up Amateris, you know, it's that, mm-hmm. I think, the way it plays out, I think, with the skills and the, the change in facial expressions from one panel to the next, I think that, that bit, yeah. I, I think, really works well in the manga format and it does yeah then the way it's portrayed in the anime works in that so i think where there's those subtle you know essentially it's beat for beat between mm. you know those two points in the manga um but they just subtly adapt it to work better for well in the anime yeah. adaption they've adapted it to work better as a you know the anime medium so i think it's been mm-hmm. very very clever like that definitely i think it will kind of make an interesting case study for anyone who really wants to go yeah. into a lot of depth about you know how things are adapted to to film yeah. animation because there's a lot there's a lot in there uh, in both kind of mediums to to sort of yes. chew over i would say yeah absolutely so 
Um, I think, yeah, as an adaptation, it's it's very good. You know, they've adapted it well. They've adapted it for the <laughs> medium. Um, so it it does it tells essentially the same story, um, except with a, a few sort of the, small a, a, tweaks. A few tweaks to to wrap it up as a film rather than an on running, you know, another thousand pages mm. of manga that the, the story had. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's very good, and you can understand actually how the anime just probably helped grow the whole cult of the five star stories. You yeah. Know, that's exactly the phrase. I was going to use the cult of the Five Star Stories, yeah, because it is a very sort of cult. Uh, it does have yeah. a very cult following, doesn't it? Um, it's kind of like you know held in sort of um, yeah, very high yeah, regard. Yeah, we talked at the end of the the, the manga uh, review that you know that it's very revered, and when you combine the two mm. things together, and because Nagano is so kind of insular with it, you know, it's kind of all he's done yeah. since the mid eighties, um, and it just grows and grows. You know, and the two things, mm. I think they really complement each other. <laughs> Strangely enough, that's exactly what I was about to say as well. They, they very much do. Yeah, that's a that's perfect, perfectly um, exactly because what I, I think was thinking. You, they do very much complement exactly, each other. Exactly, because I think if you've if you've only seen the anime, I think it would drive you to go and read the manga, and vice versa. Mm. You know, that's that's exactly right. I mean, obviously we had to do both for this review, but it had I sorted out on my own and just. You know, watch the film. I definitely would have been going yeah. to hunt it down, as I have done with a myriad other uh, anime adaptations that weren't yeah. finished, um, or that I later found out there was more of, even if it seemed to be yeah. kind of done. Because some of them do this. You know, I've seen a couple of others that have done the same thing and they've closed the story off or kind of come up with a resolution since they knew they weren't yeah. going to make yeah. the rest. But I, but I always, um, you know, obviously back in the day when we first got into stuff, you didn't always have the luxury of finding out unless you came across an no, article. that's right. In a magazine or something, but nowadays with the net, you can yeah, easily find yeah. out, you know, if it's based on something. And I would urge everyone, um, you know, who does enjoy the manga, to to um, to seek it out if you yeah. possibly can, if you have the time to get through it all. <laughs> so within the sort of context of the the mecha genre, it was one of those. Um, it was almost, you know, for me, it almost feels like one of those defining moments. You know, it was, it, you know, mm. New Type Magazine was a big thing. It was you know, one of the, the key anime magazines in Japan in that time, you know, when the, the, the printed medium was, was really booming and anime was booming. Um, mm. And then he just kind of almost sort of genre defining or sort of time defining, you know, things when he started writing the, sure. the five star stories. And, and, you know, even to today, you know, as we say, Zip's Twitter account, um, but there's always stuff that he's always in the news. What he's doing with Gothic Maid, you know, he's he, there was such demand mm. for it that he that he restarted it in New Type again a few years ago. So it's it's a there's a real legacy sure. to it. Yeah, it's certainly still got its yeah. its fan base. Which yeah. is why you know I think it, it, it using the word cult I think really really sums, sums it up, up nicely. nicely. Yeah. So as you can <laughs> tell from what we've talked about over the last couple of hours, yes, you know. It, Shining recommendations. Absolutely. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of our review of the five star stories. For our next episode, we're going to delve back into the super robot genre with a review of Future Robo Deltonius or Deltonius Robot of the Future, depending on the translation. So, where you can find us, you can find the podcast on SoundCloud. You can find it also on Spotify, on Stitcher, iTunes, 
TuneIn, Podcast Addict, all sorts of different podcast hosts. Just search for Retro Mecca Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Retro Mecca. You can also find our blog at retromeccapodcast.wordpress.com. Craig, tell us where we can find your blog. You can find me on um, www.animeheadsretroworld at word, sorry, dot wordpress.com. Um, and on Twitter, at animeheadsretro. And you can find my other podcast, Retro Anime Podcast, at Retro Anime. Um, and you can find it at all the same services where you can find this podcast. So that wraps up another good discussion on some classic mecha of Craig. Indeed, yeah. It's been so, fun. Been, been another good, absolutely enjoyable discussion. So, uh, yeah, completely. There we go. So, right. So, see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. The opening and closing theme music to the podcast is Molten Alloy from Purple Planet Music. All other music used within the podcast is copyrighted to its respective creators.